This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. PJ Dillashaw vacates his bantamweight title after being flagged by USADA and the NYSAC for a banned substance. ESPN Plus becomes the exclusive distributor of pay-per-views in the U.S. Jorge Masvidal knocks off Till and then follows up with the two-piece and a soda on Leon Edwards backstage. Ally Akinta and Donald Cerrone confirmed for the UFC Fight Night Ottawa main event. McGregor questions his own dedication and motivation heading into the Khabib fight and eyes a trilogy fight with Diaz. Dana White signs a seven-year extension with the UFC. Rose Namajunas and Jessica Andrade will officially headline UFC 237. And we are joined by UFC Senior Vice President of International and Content David Shaw as well as Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Thanks to those listening on TSN Radio in Toronto and Ottawa or the podcast. Please tell your friends, review the show and subscribe. And we also appreciate listener feedback. If you have anything you want to tell us about the show or combat sports in general, at Aaron Bronstetter and at Bazooka Joe V on Twitter is where we can be reached. Joe, this is uh, as packed a news week in MMA as I can remember. I'm just more impressed that you did that in one big breath. I thought you were going to gas out there. That's a lot of news that we're covering. Yeah, well, if you had to give me like CPR or something, it would make for very <laughs> awkward future bit. weeks here. You've been training, definitely. Yeah. Your lung capacity has increased significantly. That was impressive. I've been working with the Iceman Wim Hof, actually. He comes really? over every couple days. Nice. Yeah. yeah, you guys practice. You have your little yeah. freezer in your basement that you just jump into. Uh, Diego Sanchez, when I interviewed him, I asked him for us uh, to give me uh, a win. Hoff, some Wim Hof breathing techniques, yeah. and he, he showed me, so maybe I've been okay. using them. I know a lot of people, and I know a lot of the fighters for recovery are doing um, those cold showers even, like every morning doing one of those cold showers. I mean, I hated the cold tubs, and some fighters, you know, will never do it, but uh, yeah, they're not pleasant. I take cold showers in the summer. Yeah. Yeah, like frequently. The only I time like I like cold showers is after you cut weight and you've been sitting in the sauna for so long. That feeling of cold water on your face and on your it's mouth. It's a shock for your body, though. It's the best, though, because <laughs> you want to stop the sweating. It's called like a, a sweat stop because mm-hmm. you don't want to lose more weight at that point. So you freeze your, you know, close your, you know, your pores, pores yeah. to stop getting the water out. So once you make weight, you take that beautiful cold shower. I'm not afraid of the ice tub. I feel like I could climb in one no problem. I hate it. I hate the cold. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't do anything for me. No? No. It's, I mean, outside, like, all the friends laugh. Like, even when I'm with Glory events, and uh, it's a little cold outside, and I'm with three jackets. And they're like, what the heck, dude, you're from Canada. <laughs> what do you need three jackets for? I was like, I just because I'm from Canada doesn't mean I don't like the like, yeah, I exactly. hate the cold. I passionately hate the cold. So, no cold for me. Do you do any of the recovery stuff, like cryo, or do you use any flotation tanks or anything like that? No. I love the float tanks. Have you really? ever tried I've never it? done it. You You've go. actually done it? Yeah. I, I used to do it pretty frequently. Really? I love it. Okay. No, I've always wanted to do it, but uh, I'm, a, I'm claustrophobic. So You can, like, you I can mean, actually do, uh, instead of doing a pod, ones, right? a pool. Yeah, like a pool. Yeah. It's on the Danforth. It's yeah, that's the one I was going to try to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've always wanted to do it, but I, like, I was always intimidated of the little pod. So if there's something bigger, I would definitely like to do it. I love the pod. Oh, it's so good. I, I want to go do it again. I haven't done it in a couple of years. I, I just really, it's eh? too far away from me, and I've got kids. So I don't have time. <laughs> yeah, that happens. I can't say, "Hey, I'm, I'm heading out for a float. I'll be back yeah. in four hours." <laughs> yeah, later, babe. <laughs> yeah. Be gone. Just I'm gonna, I'm just, while you're taking care of three kids, I'm just going to be floating for an yeah, hour and a half. There you go. That's not going to go over well. No, doesn't so, sound like it. <laughs> so TJ Dillashaw, this morning we wake up to the news that uh, he has vacated the bantamweight title, which he really didn't have to do, Joe. You know, if you look at USADA. And um, the NYSAC, both of these positive tests, it was in-competition tests most likely for when he was competing for the flyweight title. So the bantamweight title is not affected by that. Uh, the UFC, of course, like had, let's say Dillashaw had beaten Cejudo, the, that would have been stripped and it would have been ruled a no contest. But because the bantamweight title wasn't on the line, it's really at the discretion of Dillashaw. And I guess the promotion, if they wanted to strip him outright just because he's going to be on the shelf for a while, um, what they do with that title. 
or yeah. create an interim or whatever. The, but that's but, almost but like a... Phil Shaw stepped up and, and vacated himself. Yeah, I like it. But that, uh, to me, that could almost sound like a, a guilty move after. You know, like, okay, I was guilty here. I'm not going to hold up the division Either in that, that or it's... um. One of those situations where you know I you can't fire me, I quit. You know, like where you get yeah. ahead of it. You know that they're they're probably going to strip because you. So you, you if you I was innocent, I would like I would give it up. If if I knew I was innocent, I would not give my belt up. Oh, that's a good. That's Do you know what I mean? Like take, yeah. that that belt means more than anything to us martial artists. Like we gave our whole life for that belt. Now all of a sudden, you know, there's a false accusation, and then you're just going to give it up. To me, that sounds like a guilty move. I I it, my I would not give it up. Yeah, so that's a very you fair know? statement because. When you look at it that way, you're right. I mean, it's he's your dream. He, you know? he wants to be considered the best bantamweight of all time. And you would die. He would die for that title. He would do anything in the world for that title. He sacrifices his family, his health, his body, and then all of a sudden, oh, I'm just going to give it up now. I don't well, know. It's That's a amazing. guilty move. In the last 60 days, the dreams of TJ Dillashaw have been completely crushed. He loses the two division chance at uh, becoming a two division champion, and now loses this title. So he was going for two titles in January, and now he's got zero. But isn't there a new rule that um, they're not going to really announce? So, so here's what happened: okay. because he volunteered the information, you saw it get asked. You know, are you going to make a statement about this? And they released a statement today saying, because TJ has disclosed this information, we can confirm that this okay. is the case. Because there's been that issue with Paulo Costa right now that why he was out of his fight with Yoel Romero, right? Well, sort of. Yoel came out and said, I had heard that he was... So uh, it's not even official that and that's then the reason. Yo- and then Costa's team said this isn't true. So that's kind of where it's at. Okay. That said, Costa's not booked for a fight, right? Absolutely. So, <laughs> I mean, where there's smoke, there's fire. But at the same time, you know, his... His agent, uh, well, Ismail came out and said, uh, "You know, this is this isn't the case." Yeah. And I've heard some a lot of extended interviews with Dillashaw, and he's really like particular with his training, what he eats, how he eats. You know, um, when he was on the Rogan podcast, he was so particular down to you know the science of everything. So that's why I'm kind of like. You know, a tainted supplement. You're not going to put a tainted supplement in your system if you're that scientific with everything you do, and then you're just going to take random supplements. You know, so yeah. for me, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's tough. It's hard to to hear, but it also doesn't surprise me. I mean, to compete at a level, at the highest level, and he's getting older now. He's put himself through a lot of wars. He might need it now at this point of his life. And we saw Sun Sao come out on uh, Twitter today and say Uriah Faber told me that uh, he was that TJ had been taking stuff. Yeah. Not to mention that when uh, there was a press conference with uh, Dillashaw and uh, Cody Garbrandt, my colleague Jim Edwards asked uh, about Dillashaw being accused of using performance-enhancing drugs, and Cody goes, oh, yeah, he used to show us all at Alpha Male how to use them. And I'm thinking, well, yeah. you just threw yourself under the bus, yeah, didn't you, kind of, your whole team? <laughs> I mean, but you can't really, like, pre-USADA, pre I mean, I can guarantee you there is most, probably a lot of guys were on it. So, I mean, it's you can't really look at him as right. the, the exception, right? Because there's a lot of known people who were doing it. So, I mean... Yeah. And, yeah, and you and get I mean, used to performing. And hey, when you're on it, what you, you recover better, you recover faster. You know, you can train as hard and maintain that pace. So once you have that feeling, it's probably hard now psychologically, especially knowing that hey, I did it before and it made me so great, and now I don't have it. It's a big psychological, you know, downer for a lot of these guys. So they're gonna have to really work mentally to get past it. I believe he's the first champion in the USADA era. Well, I guess John Jones too. That has uh, gotten you know tested positive as champion. Yeah. I think just him and Jones. Hmm. Well, so I guess. Yeah. I mean, so now the division's tough. wide open. I mean, if you look at that division from this January 2016 to now, so that's three years. There's been four people that have fought for the bantamweight title. You had Uriah, you had Cruz, you had and Uriah's been retired for like two years. Yeah. You had Uriah, Cruz, Garbrandt, and Dillashaw. Those are the four guys that in the last 
three years have competed for that title. So now all of a sudden you look at the rankings and it's all these guys that were like this division's completely stagnant are like <laughs> they're jumping like wide, yeah, yeah, they're jumping for joy. It's wide open now. Yeah, and because, so who, because it's not going to be an interim title. It's going to be no, the undisputed title. Yeah. And who do you think fights next for it? And we had a pre-conversation on this. But. Yeah, I think it's going to be um, Munoz and uh, Marias. I think Marias is in the fight no matter what. Yeah, he and has then you got to look at what the UFC wants to do with flyweight because if they still want to keep flyweight going, which doesn't look to be the case, maybe they want to do Cejudo and Benavidez for a rematch. Um, and you also have to keep in mind that Marais and uh, Cejudo are both managed by Ali Abdelaziz, and I, I'm sure they're probably pretty friendly. But uh, Munoz, that knockout of Cody Garbrandt really impressed me. Absolutely. And he's been a very impressive guy in the UFC. I actually picked that fight. Yeah. You had Munoz? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're, uh, you're crushing me in the picks uh, this year. I did. I'm doing well. Yeah. Um, so that's where we stand right now with Dillashaw. Uh, and really, it's just such a crazy turn of events for him. If you look at everything that's happened. And the crazy part is, imagine he had beaten Cejudo. He's the two-division champion. Yeah, to now he's relinquishing news. two titles. Yeah, that would have been painful. But, uh, I mean, That's hey. not how it played out, though. No, <laughs> he lost he got... pretty, pretty. I mean, he I mean it's still bad. He thought it was a bad ways. stoppage. But, I mean, yeah. to lose and to get stripped like that, I mean. He was in talks for one of the pound for pounds at one point, right? I, I but still thought prior to yeah. his his um, Cejudo loss, like easily put him up there with pound for pounds, yeah, top five for sure. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't know what they're doing or how they're getting around this USADA testing, but uh, yeah, it's it's there for a reason, and we're we're starting to see more, and I think we're going to keep seeing it. I think USADA and the way they test like keeps getting more advanced probably well, and they can continue to find there haven't been a ton of positive tests though so far this year in Q1 I think there's only been like three or maybe four there's Khalid Mursalayev and there's uh, Jake Collier and I'm sure there's another one or two uh, yeah uh, Jennifer Maya who's actually on this card she's already served her suspension it was like a six month suspension so uh, not, not a six whole lot. That's not bad. That's not a bad well, suspension. Well, it was tainted supplement again. Like okay. they, they had found they, it. They it found it. Tainted supplement, yeah. So um, that's uh, that's where we stand with, with TJ Dillashaw. He's no longer a champion uh, for the first time in a long time. He's not. A, doesn't have a belt around mm-hmm. his waist. Uh, and we won't see him again until next January, the earliest. Yeah, until they it figure might be, it out, It might be too. even longer, depending on what happens with USADA. And he's probably, what, 33, 34, TJ Dillashaw? Yeah, he's in his, he's in his early 30s. Yeah. So still kind of young, yeah. but not old. So, I mean, he probably still had a few years of prime fighting left yeah. in him. Yeah. So to take a year off of him at this time could be a big hit. Do you think that prime fighting, like, well, I don't even think it's a do you think. It definitely is. But prime fighting differs from weight class to weight class. And a lot of the so. time, lighter fighters are past their prime at that age. I yeah. mean, I'm sure Dominic Cruz would beg to differ on that, but... Yeah, there's always. I you think, don't see a ton of. Older I think a champions. lot of it is really individual, because I mean I've seen some 19 year old kids who are grown as big men and strong and tough. Where like I find someone like myself, like I I found I didn't peak until probably my late 20s, early 30s. So I think it's a lot of individual too. I mean I'm sure weight class helps. Um, I still don't get how they say heavyweights are, you know, the division where you get the least amount of damage. I don't know if I agree with that, but they seem to have longer careers than most, which is surprising. I've got to say, you look big. Like, what are you walking around at right now? Uh, I'm about 200. Wow. Okay. Is that big for you? Is that, or is that uh, what you were walking In the last four years, no. No, it's really? Been, okay. It's been average for me. Mm-hmm. I go up and down a little bit, but uh, yeah. Are you still on the, the what, what's it called, the keto diet? No, I'm on, uh, a new I've one. Got, no, I'm just on bodybuilding. I just oh, want really? to get big. Okay. I want to get big. I want to get strong. Um, I'm, so you're I'm just obs- leaner then? I'm leaner, yeah. yeah. I'm about power. Like, I mean, I'm obsessed with wanting to hit harder. 
That's just my whole life focus is hitting things <laughs> as hard as I possibly yeah. can. So that comes with size. It comes with strength training. It comes with a lot of lifting. Like I need my muscles to be firing and peaking. So that's what I'm obsessed with. That's why I deadlift a lot, squat a lot. Power. Everything's mm-hmm. about power for me. Well, there you go. There yeah, you go. I mean, like I said, it looks like you're jacked. So <laughs> I'm I, trying. You know, I'm actually yeah. leaning out. I'm under you see 200 lot, You now. see a lot of these guys after they're done, their fighting days are behind them, just kind of like, you know, become Which sloppy. I don't understand. I, mm-hmm. I don't understand it. Like, for me, everyone's like, oh, my God, like, I train more now. When I was fighting, I was a school teacher. So, and <laughs> yeah, everyone's right. like, oh, my God, you look so big. I was like, yeah, because when I wake up, I eat towards getting performance mm-hmm. well you eat mcdonald's breakfast i'm eating you know bake i'm eating my bacon my eggs my keto my proper designed meals and then when you're working sitting behind a desk i'm lifting for two hours straight of muscle bodybuilding strength training i train two three, that's my full-time job for me now so for me to be good at my job i'd have to look the part i have to be the shape i have to be in and i love martial arts so i mean i don't understand how these guys can love something so much and then just let themselves go like that and you're still teaching every day for the most part, right? I, I teach twice a, a week, twice but a week. I'm still there every day training with my team, with my guys. Like, it's my full-time gig. So for mm-hmm. me to be out of shape would be almost embarrassing for me. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, you don't want your disciples to look up to you no. and be like, Joe looks like he's slacking. No, it's, it's, I'm a lifer. I'm a mm-hmm. lifer. So I hope that more You're going to be one of these guys that's that. jacked at like 55? Easily. All right. Oh, yeah. Easily. Now, i got to get Whooping. back. I've got to get back to it. I'm just... Uh, I get restless. I'm I'm always doing like all kinds of weird shadow boxing stuff in my house and kicking the air and stuff. Yeah, but you also have, I, like you said, three kids. Yeah, I know. I think when I, I zero when children. I start traveling for UFC, I'm going to start doing the Joe V uh, the Joe V course. The online the online videos. I think so. Yeah. I mean, even anything, just go ride a little bike, try to do build the fitness and do yeah. some push-ups. We can do some this yeah. left arm has been getting tons of workouts from holding the baby. There you go. I always use my left arm. Do some shoulder pressing. So my left arm is a lot bigger than baby. my right arm. There you yeah. go. Yeah, there it is. Not bad. All right, so uh, ESPN Plus, now the exclusive distributor of pay-per-views in the U.S. This is a really big story uh, in terms of the business of mixed martial arts. So what they've done is when you're distributing these pay-per-views, the main distributors are In Demand, Dish Network, DirecTV. The UFC's cut all that out. And uh, according to Dave Meltzer... They were trying to get a 65-35 split in terms of the revenue share. It's been around 50-50 for the last while. Okay. But they see that a lot of these boxers are going to DAZN. You look at Canelo going to DAZN, the big pay-per-view drop. He goes to DAZN. They just offered, um, I think, Wilder. Golovkin. Yeah, they, they offered just Wilder, Wilder a ton of money. Dollars, yeah, they offered yeah. Wilder a bunch of money. He's stuck with Showtime. But you look at all these guys that are going over to the zone, and then when you are these pay-per-view distributors, you're losing inventory. The WWE, for example, is on WWE Network now. Yeah. Nobody's ordering pay-per-view through a traditional method, um, aside from, I guess, commercial enterprises. And uh, the UFC is still distributing to commercial enterprises as well, like to bars separately from ESPN+. Plus. But they cut all that out. And uh, from what Dave Meltzer reported, they had a deal with in-demand for a 65-35 split, but DirecTV wouldn't budge on 50-50. So they they just walked. They didn't sign the papers with in demand, hmm. and they uh, they went to ESPN Plus. Now, the reason why this is such a huge win for everybody, in my opinion, um, from a business standpoint, the only real losers in this are consumers that have bad internet connections because they're not going to be able to watch it. They'll have to go to bars. Um, but if you are ESPN, you now have so let, remember how many buys that Khabib and Connor did two point three million or something along those lines. They said recently they reported they had two million subscribers. So if you want to see a Connor Khabib 2, for example, let's say that gets 3 million buys, that is going to add a million subscribers to ESPN Plus because you need to subscribe to ESPN Plus in order, in order to, to buy to the pay-per-view. Yeah. 
Now, whether that's just for a month or whatever, who knows? But if you look at your credit card bill yeah. every month and you see five bucks on it, yeah. it's, not, like, yeah, it's yeah, not too a, bad. Yeah, it's a dollar or I'll a keep it. I'll yeah, forget I'll to it. subscribe. Yeah. I forgot to unsubscribe from Audible. So yeah, now I've still been getting invite, charged yeah. Yeah. every month, month, and now I can't even get rid of it because they won't. I still have credits on the account. So I have to use the credits before I can stop. So I'm, I'm upset with Audible right now. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. <laughs> We'd like you to sponsor the show, Audible, and also there give Joe go. a free account. That's it. Uh, so now with ESPN Plus, like, everybody's going to get a, a bigger piece of the pie. So the UFC, I'm sure their share is now probably closer to 85, 15, 80, 20. And if you're ESPN, you're paying to license these pay-per-views for the most part. You are the exclusive distributor, so people are going to come to you for these pay-per-views. But you're also probably getting a cut. So it's now in ESPN's best interest in, uh, to promote these things, to go out of their way to make these pay-per-views as big as possible. Because they're going to get to see the metrics of every pay-per-view, and they're going to see how much interest there is leading up to the pay-per-views. They're going to know what they have to do in order to in maximize order to their it. profits. So if let's say you're ESPN and you get a pay-per-view that does a million buys. So that's that's $60 million. And you're get, getting, let's say, 20% of that. I don't know. If you, let's say it's 80-20. So uh, I just said what? I said uh, 60 million. 60 mil. So 20% of that is $12 million. So you're going to bring in $12 million in one day, plus whatever subscriber rates are. Yeah, that are getting monthly. Just by hyping it up. And now the UFC doesn't have to do as much um, heavy lifting. ESPN's got a much bigger production staff that they can they can put things uh, put behind the, the product. So... When you look at it that way, it's it's such a huge win for the UFC. Like they they win on all fronts. Uh, ESPN now they have to be um, a little bit um, more discerning. I think. I think that if if they look at a card like UFC 237, headlined by Rose and Yo- and uh, Jessica Andrade, yeah. they know that that's not a, a big ticket seller. But uh, and I speak to Dave Shaw later on about this, the senior uh, vice president. And I, I put this out on Twitter. But Dave says that now ESPN have control of the price in in the U.S. Uh, and if you're in Canada and you're listening to this, nothing has changed. Everything's the same mm-hmm. as it was before. But if you're in the U.S., let's say ESPN says, well, this is not uh, that good of a pay-per-view. Let's charge 30 bucks for this. But does They it, can do that. that. That would almost be insulting for the fighter, too, though. You know, yeah. at that point, they and don't they're going right? to get the same amount of money. Now, how is that going to change? Because I know a lot of the big fighters rely on the pay-per-view mm-hmm. buys to help their pay. So I'm sure yeah. they have some sort of structure built in for them. Well, that's the big question that nobody seems to know the answer to and nobody seems to want to answer. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the UFC were asked about it and they said no comment. Okay. Um, so that's that's the part that I think is really uh, interesting about it. Because I'm sure bonus checks are always in the mail, if anything, right? Eh, maybe. I mean, are they? You, have, you so, haven't heard about any sort of discretionary bonuses. Because I heard years. sometimes, I've, I've heard that a lot of the UFC guys that I've worked with, they'll say, yeah, sometimes a check arrives in the mail after, you know, if they oh, have really? a good performance or in recent years? they look, uh, yeah. Okay, well, yeah. that's good. So sometimes they'll be like a couple extra grand or they just throw something at them a little extra sometimes. Mm-hmm, cool. Which I think is good. That's great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you have a good pay-per-view and you weren't part of the, I, I think it's nice that, you know, Give a fighter an extra couple grand, and they'll yeah. make them happy. They want to perform better for you. And another it's a thing, business. Another thing Dave mentions in this interview that you'll hear later on in the show is that um, the it's at the discretion now of ESPN if they want to release what the buy rates are. Like they can put out a press release and say, you know, two hundred eighty-three thousand people watched live as you know Jessica. Because that's an issue with the fight pass now. Because I don't know if they really. Because I know with us with Glory, like I'm always asking, like, what are our numbers on UFC Fight Pass? Um, and we don't get them. Or maybe they don't want to let us know. They but get them. Yeah, apparently Glory does not know what their their views are 
on the on the fight in the there's, past. There's so, at least one person watching it. I, I watch it. There you go. Although actually, I watch it on the Fight Network, so I'm not even in in that uh, that mix. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, my family all watches Fight Network too. Yeah, it's easier. My dad has it on the station. He pre-records yeah, it. Yeah, he PBRs exactly. it. He watches it. Zip through it. Yeah, so you don't have to hear any of your boring insight in between. Oh, the fights. No, my mom. That's all they listen to. <laughs> they just they the fast fights. forward the fights. <laughs> yeah. They just want to hear me talk. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Mom's mom's the biggest fan now because of it. That's great. Yeah, she's yeah. a big Fight Network fan. That's, that's good. it. Yeah. So. uh it's on, on uh, Fight Pass exclusively in the U.S. though, right? Like, yeah. No, now they're like all of our events are going to be in the U.S. All Fight Pass because before we had ESPN three and ESPN yeah. two I'm on tape ESPN delay. Plus didn't pick it up. That's what I don't know what the the reasoning behind it was, but uh, yeah, Marshall Zelanik was really excited about you know being all on UFC Fight Pass. It's kind of nice because we almost it was almost two separate shows for us where I had to like on the Super Fight series I couldn't really talk about the main card because we we kind of sold them differently. Yeah, so right. now it's kind of like yeah, in people Canada, can stay like and watch. It's on yeah. Fight Pass for the Super Fight series, and then well, you can get both actually on Fight Network, but on Super Fight, Fight series is also on Fight Pass if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, all right, so. Uh, that's the the big news there with ESPN Plus. So, I, I think that it's going to be a really interesting structure going forward because the one thing that I, I know they're going to have to deal with are people that are like, oh, my internet connection is buffering and blah blah. For blah, sure, blah. always. Yeah. yeah. So that's going to be their headache, I think. But that's. But I also, again, I asked Dave about this later on. I should just play the interview. But I asked Dave about it later on, and he says that that's on ESPN. Like ESPN, they, it's their app, so the UFC won't hear anything about it. Okay. Right. Yeah. So there it's you interesting. go. But ESPN uh, is like now for the next seven years because they extended an extra two years uh, the deal. Uh, they are now in bed with the UFC for s- the next seven years, and they're going to be the exclusive distributor of the pay per views. So the UFC and ESPN are more in concert than really any other property that ESPN has. Yeah, and I mean even the stuff that Aero Hawani's doing and the, the the press that they're getting, they have a regular TV spot now on ESPN, which is huge, right? Absolutely, something that we've never really had. Um, we had a little one here at one point in Canada, but nothing really big. So it just shows how much the sport's growing. But think of the difference between being on like Fox Sports News or whatever it is, uh, any sort of Fox Sports show, and being on an ESPN show. Yeah. Like it's an astronomically bigger number. Big, yeah. I mean, it's and crazy. More household. And then crazy. the other thing think. to consider is bars, restaurants. Like when you're in the U.S., ESPN's on every TV. Everywhere. Everywhere. So, I mean, I just hope this app is good, and I hope the fighters just get paid accordingly. I mean, we're all talking about how much money the UFC is going to make. Hopefully it reflects fighters and, and, and the payment that way. So I think that's our biggest concern from my side is getting fighters getting paid a little bit more. You're a teacher. I'm wondering what you think about this. Now that it's such a mainstream thing, the UFC, and it's in bars and restaurants, if you were sitting, like, if, do you think that if, like, someone's sitting with, like, an eight-year-old at a restaurant and the UFC's on the TV that they should be watching it? Do I think they should be watching it? I'm, I'm fine with that. Like, what do you think is the age? I'm okay with that. What do you think is the age where uh, you're comfortable with a child watching? See, I was I, I started watching at four, so for me it's a but little different. Were you watching boxing? Came, no, I was watching. I was obsessed with the martial arts movies mm. and boxing and stuff, but fighting in general, like I would yeah, be but that's, obsessed that, with. That's scripted. Yeah, but I mean, it's in my mind, it was real at that time, <laughs> right? So, yeah, when Van so. Dam was doing a yeah. side Double splits and round kicking. When there's kicking. two Van Dams. Yeah, like, I mean, that's <laughs> real in my life. That's not yeah, fake. That's true, yeah. So uh, um, even WWE wrestling, I was watching it, I was obsessed with it, but in my mind, it was real at that point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, watching Rocky win against Apollo Creed, that was real. 
I don't know. I to me, I just think it's the education behind it. I think if, for example, my child is going to have an understanding of martial arts better than someone who maybe hasn't been part of martial arts. I, I I'm still the believer. Everybody should be doing martial arts. I love how they do it in China, where it's part of school curriculum. I think mm-hmm. it's really important that every man, woman, kid should know how to throw a jab, a cross, a hook, a punch, and know that. I think it's it's worse if you know if you've done martial arts you know how dangerous it is it is so you might not want to do it where if you watch it like I know many friends and people I know who've never gone into a fight they watch a UFC fight oh I would kill this guy I was like okay let's but, let's but slow down a little bit. They they'll watch it all the time and they'll think like these guys suck look how gassed out they are it's the third round these guys suck they're looping punches there's nothing you get that everywhere but I mean if they've trained which a lot of them have come to bazooka kickboxing now and they've trained they're like I take back everything I've said <laughs> yeah, they go I, 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 but if you don't know you <laughs> yeah, think it's so easy that's a pretty brass statement to make isn't it's, it? it happens all the time it happens so often that it's crazy everybody thinks fighting is a lot easier than it actually is until you actually train. Well, the amount of technique involved, that's, the, that's, I think, what the biggest hurdle is for the UFC and for combat sports as a whole is that if people don't see the artistry in it and don't see the strategy behind it and don't it's see the brutal. technique, they just think it's a violent, like it's just a violence display. Yeah. And that's, that's the hardest thing for them to overcome. And when, when Meryl Streep said, uh, you know, I, I want to help the arts or whatever, and by arts I don't mean mixed martial arts, um, you know, and she was trying to kind of put down mixed martial arts as not being an art. It is an art. Yeah. It's a dialect. It's an art. It, you know, but but I have to tell you, it it's a different. Um, it, it's hard to call, and it, it, it's in the name. It's hard to call mixed martial arts a a true real martial art because I think there's a, a big side of it, and I'm seeing it a lot now with kickboxing and with mixed martial arts. It's different now. There's no master. There's no sir. There's no you know, leader you look up to. The jiu-jitsu still has it. They have their professor. They all line up. They all bow. They all really respect it. Jiu-jitsu has it, which I think is, you know, a martial art. But mixed martial arts guys are uh, some... Now it's being a sport is now being a fighter more than that martial arts side, which I mean you lose that whole respect side. So people that are younger are getting into right into mixed martial mixed arts martial instead, arts. Of, taking taekwondo, instead of taking taekwondo, where you have to stand in line, you can't scratch yourself when your instructor's talking to every adult or someone ranked higher than you. Hello, Mister So and So, how are you, sir? Hello, Master Sullivan, how are you? There's always a respect. Your uniform had to be perfect. You had to stand in perfect position. Now, uh, half the time guys come in, I'm talking, they're talking. Talking on the side, and I'm, they're not respecting the gym. It's just it's it's been a little bit of different in the mentality. Have you made an example out of anybody lately, Joe? Oh, I I, I yell all the time Have in my you? classes. I ah. said when I was like when I was raised in even kickboxing, I was very respectful. You said hello. You didn't just leave class. I couldn't. E- I wouldn't even dare in the middle of class just go and get water. No, oh, yeah. I would I, ask I my that, instructor. Yeah. I would have to leave. Hey, 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 sir, or hey, hey, Mister. It was my coach was Paul Minhas. It was like, hey, Paul, can I go to the washroom? Can I come back? Or I yelled at my guy yesterday because he didn't tell me that he had to leave at seven. Class goes till seven thirty. Then he starts packing up. I'm like, where are you going? Yeah. You didn't think to tell me? That's so disrespectful in the martial arts world. I would have never done that. So I mean, they they lose out on the. I think there's a lot of that important side of martial arts that's not really taught in MMA. Interesting. It sounds. I mean, that's for me starting from that system, right? I think it's it's really important that it's lacking. What do you think that can be done about that, or do you think that those days are just over? That if somebody is going to become a mixed martial artist and start in mixed martial arts, that that's just how it's going to be? I don't know. I guess it comes down to the coaches. 
I think it, the coaching is really important. I think even guys like I think Duke Rufus do a great job at it. Like he, his guys really respectful. They all help clean the mats. They all respect him. They, it's, I think someone like him has that little bit of balance of both. Um, but it definitely does need to improve. Yeah, I, I always like how Darren Till talks about how the one person on the planet he fears is his master, like Master yeah. Colin. My says, mom used to tell says me. Master yeah. Colin, like he's, he goes, Master Colin, when he, like, he goes, I once talked back to Master Colin, I'll never do that again. He was like cutting weight, yeah. he was agitated and something, Absolutely. and he talked back to Master Colin. I always like hearing those stories because that's the, the yeah. mentality that, the, and especially a young guy like Till, because he started so young. Yeah, who's very talkative, who's mm-hmm. out there, yeah. who will fight. But that's what old school martial art is. If I got in trouble at school, my mom was like, I'm going to tell Mr. Sullivan. Don't tell Mr. Sullivan. Please don't tell Mr. <laughs> Sullivan. Like, I don't want to get in trouble at Taekwondo. Like, that's the worst thing I want to do. So, I mean, I think it's, that's an important side of it. So, I mean, the respect, the discipline. As a kid, I think you can't really beat that. Like, I'm not going to say, when you back to that question, do what I want my kids to fight? No, I wouldn't want to because I know. But I also wouldn't want them playing football. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want them doing anything to see them get hurt. Right, yeah. So it, it's tough, but I don't think you could really stop it. I think their video games are worse than watching a UFC fight. If they don't know the difference between, you know, virtual and real reality, I mean, that shooting someone in a game is just as bad as watching two guys fight in a cage. Absolutely. Well, while we're on the topic of Till, um, although you, you, were, you had discussed more things after that, but well, let's go back to Till. Okay. Uh, Jorge Masvidal knocks him out in the second round uh, and then goes after Leon Edwards backstage. Yeah. Well, I should say, his, his version of the story is he approached... Leon Edwards with his hands behind his back, yeah, like he nicely, came in peace, yeah. and then Leon Edwards put his hands up, and that's when he had to, you know, take yeah. matters into his own hands. And I, I mean, that's more of a street code than a martial arts code. Yeah. Um, but uh, I had said, and I, I want to know if you agree with me on this. I thought that Hill showed a, a good evolution in the first round in terms of his striking, what he was doing. I thought that he was actually on the right track. He had dropped Masvidal early. He was yeah. being patient, but then things kind of went off the rail in the second round. Um, do you agree with that? Do you think that Till is showing some signs of promise given that he's still only 26 years old? I mean, I think it's hard to tell. I think we really would have had to have seen a little bit more. I think the first round he did look good, but was it Masvidal just getting comfortable again, being on that layoff a little bit, uh, finding range? The hardest thing about Darren Till is getting his range and his timing. You know that straight left's coming. He's long. He's tall. He's big. So finding that could take a little while. So maybe that's why he looked good, Masvidal being a little bit more patient. But Masvidal looked good. I mean, the way he stepped in and close, from a technical standpoint, it's we call it north versus south. So southpaw versus an orthodox fighter. We say north versus south, open stance. It's really hard to close that distance sometimes. So, But the way he shifted his feet, which is he switched stances, so he went from orthodox to southpaw to land the left hook, it was crazy. He looked in, it, was, it was nice. It was really impressive. That was, that was an experienced step and experienced punch. Well, the reason why I love having Robin Black here at TSN is I always pick his brain and I say, here's what I saw. What did you see? Because yeah. he, he sees things. He's like very analytical with these kind of things. And the way that he said Masvidal set it up was he was doing all kinds of crazy things with his legs and his stances to kind of throw Till off. And he basically said, Robin basically said, Till had two choices in that moment. One choice was to ignore it completely and just keep with the flow of the fight. And the other was to um, look at it and analyze it and try to react to it. And he says that Till ignored it. So once Till had ignored it, Masvidal, because he's such a veteran, realized that Till was kind of ignoring it and then used it to as a weapon he, yeah. and he was able to switch the stance Possibly, throw that yeah. jab and then and then hit him with that that overhand left yeah I, I mean very fair could happen yeah. 
I mean, hopefully we got to ask them what they were thinking in that moment. But yeah, uh, I just think, for one thing, Till should have used his kicks a little bit more. He was longer. He was taller. A good front kick. Kept his range a little bit better. Um, but, yeah, you got to get inside. So Masvidal, with his footwork, got inside. It was perfect. Well, you told me before the show you thought Till looked terrible yeah. in the cage in terms of his, just, in terms of his appearance, not, not his yeah. technique. But it just he looked overly bloated to me. I mean, you can rehydrate, and I thought he looked great on the scale, super lean, nice and nicely filled. He didn't look, you know, overly big. But then when he bloated back, it just looked like even his cheeks, his face, his body, you get this superficial layer of water after. And if you put it on too much, like you'll see a guy with a ripped six-pack, and then the next day they got like a roll hanging off of their, their shorts because that's all water that's just sitting on the surface. That's not functional weight. And I, I, to me, it just looked a little too bloated so i mean either like whether you rehydrate 15 pounds or 20 does that extra five pounds of water help you or does it actually slow you down i don't agree with that extra five pounds of water i mean i think i mean i think he's fine at welterweight i just think he likes to blow up so much after it's a little too much I don't know. I don't. I think it looked like he was literally like the swelling was popping out of his his face. He just looked to me like that. I, like I said, the Michelin guy, mm-hmm. almost like way too bloated for me. I didn't I, like it. I think this is a perfect example of why extreme weight cutting is going to go away soon. If you look at Masvidal, a guy who used to fight at 155, moving up to 170 to fight a guy that should be fighting at 185, you saw that there was a gigantic huge, size difference huge. between the two of them. And and being able to uh, beat him in that kind of fashion, and then you see guys like Whitaker moving up to 185 and having success. Basically, everybody in that division, even the Gastelum, um, Adesanya fights. Gastelum's uh, tiny compared Adesanya to Adesanya. Adesanya's probably more you know? of a 70. I mean, he's, he's still pretty thin. Um, so... If you look at these kind of body types that are that are excelling in weight classes, moving up now, Rockhold's moving up to 205, Thiago Santos and Anthony Smith, great examples, moving up to 205, yep. you're going to start seeing a lot of these guys realizing that their optimal strength is at a higher weight class. I think that comes even with to an extent, TJ versus Cejudo, like yeah. the way Cejudo was able to fight TJ, who was, had really depleted himself to make 125. I think it's a lot of it comes down with experience. Like the the more experience I get in the sport. I'll, I'll fight a heavyweight, and I think I would do well based on you know knowing the tactics, knowing distance, having the different tool sets to do it. So if you got some good experience, by all means, you can get in there and do it. But I don't, yeah, I don't like the the over blowing up. I don't think it's a, it's a, it's a big factor. It's 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 useless weight. Mm-hmm. So for me, but I think the one of the best, I think the original ones we have to to talk about fighting up and weight, Frankie Edgar. Yeah. You know, because of his good footwork, he can come on angles. Like, I mean, he can do everything because of good footwork and distance control and experience in the cage. So Frankie Edgar, I think, was the first person to really kind of go up there. I mean, in recent times, I'm sure there's been tons, but Frankie Edgar really stands out to me. Yeah, and I guess he was competing in the UFC before the featherweight and bantamweight divisions had even come yeah. into the UFC. And he wanted to be in the UFC and fought it basically lighter than he should have. But he was beating the best of the best guys. Like, his fights with uh, Gray Maynard were wars. Incredible. Like, absolute wars and Maynard was much bigger than him although Maynard wasn't even that big of a 155 or he's competed at 145 since so if you look at some of these other guys at 155 like uh guys that probably should be Donald Cerrone for example who we're going to talk about in a second he uh he recently was at 170 and Cerrone was talking about going down down to 145 at a time which there's no way he would consider doing it now but he looked like garbage for that weight cut against Alex Hernandez even though he got the win and now he's going back down to 155 or staying at 155 and fighting Ally Akinta in the main event of UFC Fight Night in Ottawa uh, that's going to be a good one. Yeah. I mean, it, 
I guess he was overly excited because he was the one in talks with the Conor McGregor fight. So I'm sure he's uh, a little disappointed he didn't get the big money fight. But Raging Al, man, he's good. He's tough. He's good. And I think that's actually probably a more dangerous fight than Conor McGregor in some ways. You know what? Good things come to those who, who wait and who are patient. And this could not have been a better uh, scenario for Ottawa as a main event. This is a great main event for, for the folks in Ottawa. But that Ottawa card is incredible as well. Yeah, lots of good Canadians a on that card. Good... Are you going to be uh, working with Gagnon for this camp? Uh, I don't think so. No? Okay. No. He hasn't really reached out. Um, I think he's really content with just wanting to stay at home. He's doing a little bit of work with Parabellum. Um, if you ask me, I think it's a mistake that he's not. I mean, I'll tell him that anyway. So, <laughs> Mitch, if you're listening, it, it is a mistake. But, uh, yeah, he's good. He's an experienced vet now, so he knows what he's doing. He knows where he's comfortable long, coming long off of his injuries. Yeah, long long layoff. layoff. But uh, the guy's tough. If anyone's going to do well, it's 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 crazy little Mitch Gagnon, mm-hmm. who's just a good scrapper. And, I mean, he's got the mentality. You know, you look at him like, oh, he's not the most technical, but he's got that killer mentality. Very oh, good very instincts. good instincts. Like yeah. He'll take you down and pound you out. He's got good power. He'll sit in there and just swing if he has to. Like He'll he'll lay it all out there, and that, that makes a good fighter, definitely. But, um, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, regardless, man, whether I'm working with him or not, I'm a big Mitch Canyon guy. Mm-hmm. Love with, him. With uh, Cerrone, you mentioned Connor. Now, the fight I had said was the best fight right now for Connor was the Diaz trilogy. I, I've been saying that all along. I yeah. said that's the fight to make because... Let's say Connor's done. Let's say Connor, his best days are behind him. He mentioned that he, he questioned his own dedication and motivation going into the Khabib fight. Let's say that the money's changed him. He's never going to be the same. He's not going to work with Kavanaugh, and he just falls off the map. You need to maximize that, grow, that earning potential if you're the UFC. you got to do that. That Diaz fight is the biggest fight you can make with Connor. You've got to think dollars and cents with Connor, not, not common sense. Yeah. Dollars and cents. Because <laughs> if, if you're sort of trying to use common sense, you're like, ah, well, we we got to really get Connor back into the title picture. Because if he's a champion, you can no, headline you cards with him. You don't. You don't. He's I an attraction. You, 100%. He's an attraction. Diaz is an attraction. You put those two together, you're going to get big numbers. You're going to get big numbers for ESPN Plus, your new, your new partner. Because you're going to have, I think, 3 million people are close. Well, I think more people would watch Diaz versus McGregor 3 than, than McGregor Khabib. versus Khabib 2. I just don't. I just... Um, as much as people love or hate Conor McGregor, what he's doing for the sport is amazing. And every time he fights, I'm excited to watch it. So I want to see Conor back. I think a Khabib fight, he loses again. And it just, we don't, it, it's not motivating for him to want to come back. So I, I like the Cerrone fight because I think he would have gotten a win, got more comfortable, and then we'd see him again. And then maybe the Diaz fight after that. But I want to see Conor fight. Like, I mean, I'm hooked on watching him fight now, too. Whether and he's exciting, he brings a whole excitement to it that I want to see so I think the right fight's not the hardest one for him well, he's really probably the only person that's become really an icon in MMA uh, somebody, somebody that people will tune into like must see TV yeah. I mean Ronda was kind of like that because she was finishing people so early in fights that I think she was must see TV also and I think that she had become slowly become an icon but she never got to get that sort of potential like the earning potential of a Conor McGregor she never quite got there and if she would have beaten Nunes in that rematch which didn't look like that was in the cards regardless of how hard she would have worked um, then maybe like maybe she could have regained that, that growth potential but the way Conor has handled losses the way that Conor has handled yeah he's done it all he, right he's doing it all the right way and people are still on on board with him because like even before the fight you just like oh what the words that come out of his mouth I hate this guy but then he loses and you're like he just said everything perfectly yeah. you know he's he he takes it as a man he takes it as a martial artist I mean it's crazy I think his outside 
antics or what is crazy. I mean, you got to think. One, he's very supportive of his other colleagues. Like, I mean, I'm sure I'm surprised it's not on here. And we don't want to put too much attention to it. But the Tony Ferguson, mm-hmm. what's going on with him mentally? But he came out with positive messages with that. Even Max, who was going back and forth with him, Max was having issues with the weight cutting or yeah, health. he's positive it about it. Positive, he's positive yeah. with his colleagues. He wants to see everybody do well. He'll talk a great fight. I mean, I think he's great for the sport in, in, in many different ways. Yeah, and if they're not going to make that Diaz trilogy, I like the idea of uh, Holloway versus uh, Connor. A rematch. That's of that, what it seems like they're trying to build one. up back yeah. and forth. Yeah, but uh, I think the Diaz fight is the bigger fight. Like even even yeah. though Holloway to me is probably, I think he's the pound for pound best in the sport right now. I, I think people will probably argue with me on that. But uh, well, you know what? I, I'd say John Jones probably, but he's probably the number two guy behind John Jones in terms of pound for pound in the sport, and that means above Daniel Cormier, above. Uh, Robert Wood, like all these champions, I think that Max Holloway is that good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So to see him versus Connor, the, the risk involved with that, though, if you're the UFC, is he's probably going to lose that fight. Yeah. Like Connor's yeah. probably going to lose to Holloway. Yeah. You're talking now, about. But, but yeah. if Connor is able to win that fight and he's the interim champion, he's going to fight Khabib next, like that'll explode. Yeah. yeah. That would, I just that, don't that think he can gigantic. beat Khabib. I just don't think he I don't has. I think he can beat Max. <laughs> yeah. I mean, those are two <laughs> I mean, dangerous fights. Yeah. So I mean that's why I want to. See, I'd rather like you. I think you said you're right. I think Diaz is the the fight that he yeah. has to make. And then Get honestly, him back to win Conor, And if not, then still a good fight. It's still a good fight. You're still going to make a ton of money. Yeah. And you know what you have with him now. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, Dana White seven year extension with the UFC. Uh, I I always see a lot of people slagging Dana White and say that the uh, the UFC would be better off without him. I think that's one of the more ludicrous comments that you'll hear. Yeah, I disagree. I'm, I mean, I don't disagree with everything that Dana White does. I don't disagree with him saying that he doesn't <laughs> listen to anybody in the media and think that what, what we're doing is bad for the sport and all that. Like he's, listen, he's not the most media-friendly guy in terms of uh, what his opinions of people in the media are. But, but that's and, what made him so big as well, saying it how it is in his mind. Here's the thing. If you look at star power from the UFC since Zufa's taken over, aside from Conor, Dana White's probably the second biggest star in the Easily. sport. Easily, yeah. You know? Easily. He's, he's become a figure. You know, he's not just, like, the, the CEO. Like, he is the face. He does it. I mean, you can't go against what he's been doing. Like, it's been incredible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And he's he's so... Like, I just don't think that if, if the, there's a human being on the planet that could fill those shoes. I don't think so. That people would like, would, would gravitate towards as much as him. And especially the years he's done it, too. Like, I mean, that, that amount of experience of not just coming in when it's successful already and the model's already out there for you. He built it. So, I mean, that that is insane. And he still has, like, the reason why people voted for Donald Trump is because they felt like he was a relatable guy, even though he completely wasn't. Um, I think that people feel like they can relate to Dana White, that Dana White is still at the, you know, at his core, just like a, a dude. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and I think that is. that's what, what part of his appeal is. I mean, they know that he's worth a ton of money, but he, he walks around with jeans and a T-shirt and, you know, he's not, he's, you only see him in a suit on fight night. Like, people find him to be a relatable human being. Yeah, I would say that's right. I feel like Dana White kind of is, though. Like, I feel like if you sat down with Dana, if you saw, we're at a bar and Dana White was sitting at a table by himself and he'd you sat cool down and talked to him, he'd with. be a cool guy to hang out with. I agree. And I think that that relatability is what has made Dana so popular. Yeah, I mean, I just see him even at the press conferences, the way he's like, it's not overly professional, but it still is. But he just says it how it is. He'll swear a little bit. He laughs. He, I think it's great. I mean, I don't like it too serious. I don't like it too professional. And let's be honest, fighting is a is a different demographic, and he just fits it perfectly. Well, I mean, name another promoter 
other than maybe like a Don King that people that has kind of become iconic in that yeah. sport. Well, I mean, Scott Coker is doing a decent job, yeah, but, but not but if you, anywhere if you, close to If you went to up to what, a regular person that doesn't follow they combat would sports, they would have no clue who he is. Yeah. They wouldn't know who Bob Arum is, but they'd probably know who Dana White is. Yeah, I would say so. So yeah. I think he's done a good job in terms of his own brand. That's really. good, yeah. Outside of, you're right, Don King. Outside like, the bubble, else? yeah. yeah. Yeah, people yeah. know Don King, yeah. and people know Dana White, and that's probably it. Yeah, good. Yeah, that's a good point. And Vince McMahon, I think, but that's not really combat sports. Yeah, but there's a you got to think there's a lot of similarities in the way Dana and Vince McMahon work. Yeah, but I don't think I think Vince McMahon has a different sort of appeal. Like I think that Vince McMahon, I don't think people think they could sit down and chat with Vince McMahon. I think there's just this because Vince McMahon made himself a character and put himself yeah. through tables and all kinds of stuff. And even at his in his seventies, he's still doing stuff like that and taking bumps. Yeah, and here I think people, people who respect worked him. with him. He's a little yeah. bit more like aggressive with his workers. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, so uh, that's uh, all for Dana White. Uh, Nama Yunus and Andrade is going to headline UFC 237. So that's an interesting one. They they thought think that that's good enough to draw and. Unfortunately, these cards in Brazil, these pay-per-views, have had not very good uh, main events in the last couple of years. Yeah, I, I'm a fan of uh, Thug Rose, so I love her work. I love her personality. Um, so I like it more for her personality than the fight itself, probably. But Andrade is a beast. Andrade, I think, is going to win it's, that fight. He's a beast. But we'll see. Yeah, I think her ability to wrestle and close distance and come in is, is a good factor with her. But we're going to take a look at our picks from UFC London. We're going to take a look at... Uh, Sorry, well, we didn't have picks from UFC London. The last time we made picks was weeks ago. Yeah, it's <laughs> been a while. And uh, we're going to look ahead to uh, the UFC in Nashville and uh, make our picks for that. But first, uh, I was joined uh, earlier today. I had a conversation with the Senior Vice President of International and Content uh, for the UFC, and that's David Shaw, and he joins us now on the TSN MMA Show. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to introduce this week's guest. I'm now joined by Senior Vice President of International and Content, Dave Shaw. Uh, so, Dave, an interesting start to the day. Uh, at the time of this recording, USADA hasn't re- really released a statement uh, about this, but uh, TJ Dillashaw went on Instagram and has voluntarily relinquished his bantamweight title uh, after being flagged by USADA, uh, as well as reportedly, um, as well, sorry, the New York State Athletic Commission, as well as reportedly USADA for a banned substance. Um, what's your reaction to this? I know you've just heard this news as well. Yeah, I mean, I just heard this news, you know, maybe about five, ten minutes ago. I noticed it on 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 Twitter, um, just trying to trying to process the information. You know, I think what what his message on on Instagram and Twitter basically said was that he was relinquishing the belt. Um, so that's a good step forward. Um, not really sure what to say. You know, we've um, he's he's been you know a great competitor for a very long time, very dominant guy. Um, it seems like you know there's been a um, I, I guess some sort of message to him from the New York State Athletic Commission of uh, an adverse finding in a test. Uh, too early to comment from us, but you know this, these types of situations always suck. But let's see how it plays out, and um, and and what kind of the, the process will reveal. Absolutely. You know, the reason why uh, you're on here for the most part is that we've got a big card coming up in Ottawa, May 4th. Uh, two more Canadian cards planned uh, with the pay-per-view schedule bulking up. Uh, do you think this Canadian pay-per-view is going to take place in August, September? Is that the range we're looking at? Um, possibly, yeah. I mean, listen, we're going we're to have three events this year in Canada. Um, we will have one pay-per-view. We will likely then have one um, kind of linear, big linear event uh, on, on ESPN. And, and why that's important is, is for kind of the quality and the makeup of, of the card. And then we've got this, uh, the Fight Night ESPN Plus event. So Fight Night event, which will be on TSN and RDS in Canada on May 4th in Ottawa. Uh, we've just kicked off the Fight Club sales this morning. 
things to be to seem to be rolling around around um, rolling along I should say really really nicely um, and yeah happy to uh, really excited to to announce that we've got Cowboy versus Iaquinta as the main event of UFC Ottawa. Yeah, that was widely reported yesterday, and I think that uh, the fans in Ottawa uh, have something to be very excited about. That's a really, really good fight. Uh, I know that there had been rumblings about Cerrone being the next uh, person to face Connor, but of course, you, you got to wait to see what play you know how that plays out. And Cowboy doesn't seem to be the most patient guy when it comes to these sort of things. Yeah, I mean, he wants to he wants to keep fighting, uh, which is why so many fans love him and so many performances. Um, are, are off the charts. I mean, you know, you look at the body of, of his work and even dating back to when he fought against uh, against Matt Brown in Toronto. I mean, Hernandez, Mike Perry, all these fights in the last, last uh, sort of year or so have been great. He's going to put on a show. He always does. And um, I think back to how well Iquinta performed against uh, Habib uh, about a year ago this time in, in Brooklyn. Um, in addition to, you know, his win against Kevin Lee and, and you know, look at what Masvidal did this weekend. And um, and think about you know the performance that that I Quinta put up against him um, back in I think it was 2015 perhaps so yeah fans in in Ottawa have a lot to be a lot to be excited about we're going to draw from Quebec we're going to draw from you know Southern Ontario and uh, it's going to be an awesome night absolutely you might even get some people in upstate New York it's kind of nearby I guess uh, so this absolutely. is. Yeah, this is a, a very exciting card for Canadians as well because we've got so many different Canadians that are being featured on this card. Um, right now, who do you think is the biggest Canadian in the UFC if, in terms of the most marketable? I mean, you know, by, by ranking and by exposure, you got to go with Elias. He seems to be out there everywhere. He loves to do um, a whole bunch of short-form content. Uh, you know, he's, he's sort of is, you know, touting his hair every step of the way. Um, he's definitely the most uh, kind of ubiquitous, let's just say, across Canada. Um, we're really excited to see Marc-André Barriot compete. Um, obviously, Brad Catone and what he's done with Tough and his, uh, his first performances in the, in the UFC have been great. Nice to see Mitch Gagnon get back. Um, there's a the whole variety of Canadian athletes that we're going to be very excited to showcase on the Ottawa card. Um, again, highlighted by listen a, a pretty a pretty tough matchup between Brunson and, and Theodoru, um, but culminates with a spectacular main event with Cowboy and Iaquinta. Now tickets were supposed to go on sale two weeks ago. They go on yep. sale this week. They actually go on sale for pre-sales today. And uh, this main event took a, a while to put together. What was the uh, reason why that took so long to get uh, solidified? Well, I mean, a few different things. I mean, we, we want to make sure that we've got, you know, um, uh, on sales that are like spaced properly, right? And we've got a pretty heavy schedule coming up in the next couple months. You know, when you, you think about um, Ottawa and Rio, we've got Rochester, we've got Chicago, we've got a bunch of that. So part of it was just spacing it out properly internally and making sure that we had enough kind of bandwidth internally to focus on the message. Uh, and then the second piece was we want to make sure that we're able to come out with, you know, as complete a card as we can, uh, we had a, a variety of, of different um, routes to go down for the main event. This this one came together in the last few days, which is great. And, um, yeah, listen, we're on, on sale already with the Fight Club. Tomorrow's newsletter, General On Sale, is Friday, all at 10 a.m. And, um, yeah, well, I'm looking at the numbers literally right now, and, um, and the Fight Club sales are going well. So this is going to be great. We're all really excited. Now, uh, you mentioned that the Ottawa card is the ESPN Plus card. There's going to be a linear ESPN and a pay-per-view, which uh, to me indicates that there's going to be two bigger markets than Ottawa that are being considered for this year. What are those markets, and um, which do you think is going to get the pay-per-view? Well, um, nothing to, to report concretely at, concretely at this point. 
Um, you know, we're in Ontario. We could look east. We could look west. Uh, we, you know, want to get back to, you know, Alberta and BC, um, hopefully, hopefully this year. So, yeah, I mean, you know, when the time is right, we'll be able to announce it. Um, but we've got a couple other markets that, you know, are deserving of a UFC event and markets that we haven't been to in a while. So I think fans all across Canada this, this year will be, you know, within um, at least driving distance to a quality UFC event. Now, Ottawa's the midway point between Toronto and Montreal. Does that indicate that there might not be an event in either of those cities this year? Um, potentially. I mean, you know, you can see by the way that the card's being com- composed right now, we are drawing from all different areas of the country, especially Ontario and Quebec. Um, as with every Canadian event, we want to have a number of, of French-speaking uh, athletes, not only to continue to build the business there, but to, to obviously provide meaningful local content to Quebecers on, uh, on RDS. Um, so not ruling it out, no. Um, but you know, we will we'll continue to, to build the card to to uh, to treat all Canadian fans. It's been four years since the UFC has been in Montreal. Now that was the lowest reported attendance of any pay per view of the last five years was the one held in Montreal. Is that what uh, gives you guys some pause about going back there? No, not necessarily. I mean, it, you know, listen. Sometimes it, you, you know, you want to you want to come to a city and it, just the timing doesn't work out. Right, like you identify a particular time of the year that makes sense, and then the arena is not available, or it's available, but there's a competing concert or festival or something else in the city. This is just about timing. Um, you know, I think the the lead up to the George retirement, uh, we were all you know cautiously optimistic that you know he'd be able to compete this year. I think ultimately, when things didn't come together the way that he wanted to, he decided to step aside, which is fine. But it just sort of means that we've got to go back to the drawing board. And, uh, and and try to figure out the Quebec live event strategy. But Montreal, Quebec City are always on the short list of, of cities we're looking at. UFC 233 was postponed back in January. Is there still the intention to replace that date and have 12 pay-per-views this year? And if so, do you know uh, where about you're expecting to hold that card? We will absolutely have 12 pay-per-views a year. Our output this year does not change. 12 pay-per-views and then you know 30 fight nights. Um, we don't have a definite uh, date yet. I mean, I think if you, you know, you kind of know some of the anchor dates and times of year that we like to be in particular cities. You know, I think we'd be aiming for, let's just say, August, September, October. Um, so no, nothing to report yet, but um, we will definitely have 12 pay-per-views. Will that be called UFC 233 or is it just going to keep going with the lineal numbers? No, we would just skip over 233 and just slot it in where it makes sense. So uh, another big reason I wanted to have you on the show today is this ESPN Plus deal. I know it doesn't affect us Canadians in terms of uh, pay-per-view distribution, but it's a massive story. Uh, tell me if you think this is accurate. This deal is more about common sense than it is dollars and cents. I mean, you're, you're dealing with one uh, provider now instead of having to deal with Dish Network, DirecTV, uh, In Demand. Uh, is that why this was such a, an appealing deal? And you guys probably will get, if I had to guess, a much bigger uh, piece of the pie than you would have from those three. Yeah, I mean, I guess common sense is a pretty good way to describe it. I think the first thing that I would describe it as is it's it's fan centric. Um, you know, there's there's one thing for a company or the manager of a product to be listening to what the the customers say, and we we certainly absolutely do that. But you know, we we see the numbers, and we've seen how fans have been migrating to digital platforms, um, whether they are direct, you know, kind of web based platforms or they're they're app based platforms. Um, UFC.tv um, in, included. And so for us, we've, we've noticed the trends. We hear and see how consumer tastes and consumption patterns are changing. 
This makes sense from a one-stop shop where now all of a sudden you know, on a monthly basis you pay the same amount for pay-per-view, but all of a sudden you know you get the hundreds of NHL and Major League Baseball games that ESPN Plus has to offer. You get the top rank. You get MLS and Premiership and Serie A. You get college football. All of a sudden the value proposition for a fan is so much more comprehensive and 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 um, and appealing. Um, this made sense for a lot of reasons. Additionally, you know, fans don't want to go to multiple places to see different segments of a UFC live event. Now, all of a sudden, you can get your fight nights, you can get your pay-per-views, and you can get all sections of the card, both early prelims, late prelims, and the main card in one spot. And that's really what made sense to us. We loved, we loved what we've seen and what we've experienced in the last couple months in the way that our brand um, has been promoted in the way that there have been, you know, really some very meaningful and compelling profiles of our athletes and storytelling around our athletes. You know, ESPN has the ability to shine the UFC brand and our fighter base in such a positive light to so many more people than we had before that, you know, all these things, all these things made sense for us. So that's the real impetus behind the deal. But is that accurate? Do our fans going to be able to watch the prelims on ESPN Plus as well, or are those going to be on linear ESPN? Um, so, yeah, so I see what you're saying. So ESPN as a destination. So when we have a pay-per-view, the prelims for that pay-per-view, that two-hour block prior to the main card of the pay-per-view will be on, on ESPN, will be on ESPN. Uh, my point was more about ESPN as a destination um, where, you know, you, you know that, hey, where's UFC? It's on ESPN. And then, hey, is it on ESPN Linear? Is it on ESPN2? Is it on ESPN Plus? Um, it's that type of... Um, destination that makes communications easy and, and kind of you know takes out a lot of the confusion or ambiguity on where to find UFC. Now, the one trouble with these uh, pay-per-views that are done digitally is that people complain about bandwidth, they complain about buffering. Do you guys have a game plan in mind for people that are having those sort of issues? Or is that something that ESPN takes care of now? Well, that's what, what ESPN, I mean, listen, listen this is their app. Um, you can go direct if you want to go web. You can go through the ESPN Plus app. Um, which will, um, you know, sit on, on tablets and smart TVs. It'll fl- sit on a number of, of other platforms. Um, you know, that the sort of technological uh, management is something that is their responsibility because it's, uh, it's, it's part, of, part of their offering. But, you know, given the investments that, you, that ESPN is making into the quality programming that they're offering, you know, I can, I can tell you with 100% certainty they will continue and do continue to invest in the quality of their product. And uh, I think we've seen so far since launch that the product runs very, very well. Um, you know, and this is something that they'll continue to build as part of the overall kind of Disney digital consumer, direct-to-consumer ecosystem. So Dana mentioned in various interviews this, uh, this past week that there's going to be some package deals, things of that nature. So does ESPN control the pricing of pay-per-views going forward? I've always been a proponent of tiered pricing for pay-per-views. You know, not all pay-per-views are created equal. Some should cost more and some should cost less, in my opinion. Is that a potential option going forward? Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think the, the, the short answer is yes. I mean, we have, you know, for the last, let's just say, six to nine months internally at UFC, we, we really started to ramp up our efforts trying to understand you know, whether there's a better way to price. And this is just part of the continual evolution of our product, right? We were every single day asking how our product can be better for, for our fans. And, and pricing was something that percolated to the top more recently. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think par- partly due to, you know, the, the match, uh, the Tiger versus Phil match, where, 
you know, the expectation was they were going to price it like a big boxing pay-per-view or a UFC pay-per-view. Uh, but then when they when they priced it in the end, it was 20 bucks. And you saw, though they had technological challenges, you saw a massive influx of people who really had never paid transactionally for golf before, right? Golf is always on network TV. Um, it's always on free-to-air TV. And so people really weren't accustomed to paying for it. But people turned out in droves to pay for the, uh, that event, and that really kind of lit a little lit a fire under us to to make sure that you know we were examining all areas of our product, including pricing. Would we have arrived at a multi-price tier or dynamic pricing based on who's fighting or where it is? I can't tell you definitively that's so, but we were examining it. Will ESPN do that in the future? It's definitely possible. I mean, right out of the gates, you know, they're providing a 59.99 price in the U.S. Um, with you know on top of uh, ESPN Plus subscription, which is $4.99 per month. If you want to buy uh, 12 months of ESPN Plus plus your pay-per-view, if you are a new subscriber to ESPN Plus, that would be $79.99. So all of a sudden, we're seeing a couple new options for consumers. Are we limited to just those two? I don't think so. I think as we get into it with them and they become more familiar with the pay-per-view business, uh, they'll do their homework and put pencil to paper on a couple other pricing options, but that remains to be seen. So that's on them then. They do have that kind of control where they can change the pay-per-view prices going forward. That's correct. Yep, they'll dictate the prices. I think, you know, we ha- having, you know, as many years of experience as anyone else in the pay-per-view business, we'll be working with them hand-in-hand and provide, you know, reasonable solutions and guidance. Um, but ultimately, the, uh, the pricing comes down to them. And how was this deal constructed? Are you just using ESPN as a platform so that you can get a better revenue share? Or did ESPN kind of license these pay-per-views from the UFC? Or is it a mix of both? Well, the, the, the model, the economic model, is something that we can't disclose publicly. But I think when it, when it came down to it, you know, we, we, we definitely realized that ESPN wanted to make a commitment over the long term to the pay-per-view business. And that symbiosis that we started to see on the, on the TV side resonated well for our vision of the pay-per-view uh, business in the future. And, and so that's really how it came together. Um, you know, I made that comment earlier about consumer tastes changing. And, you know, that for us was a pretty important driver in making a decision to really move all of our, our pay-per-views in the U.S. Um, over, to, over to digital. Um, and I want just to underscore one point. You know, I know largely this is a, a Canadian audience listening to the show, though I do know that, that people listen to it in a variety of different places around the world. This is a U.S. deal. Nothing is changing in any of our traditional pay-per-view markets, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, or any of the countless countries that will sell pay-per-view via a digital platform, especially UFC.tv. This is a U.S. deal and U.S. deal only. Yeah, if you're trying to get ESPN Plus in Canada, it's going to be very difficult. Uh, <laughs> so so prob- probably just go to your, uh, your television provider and you'll, you'll be able to get the pay-per-view that way. Uh, do you expect that in the short term, buy rates might suffer until fans become more acclimated to something new like this? Um, you know, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think one thing that we've got is we've got with ESPN a very surgical way to market. Right, you know, we that's we definitely absolutely benefited from a bunch of the cross channel and other promotional tools that some of the cable and satellite providers, you know, had for us. And we're not discounting that in any way, other than the fact that, you know, we know that we can be much more precise with our marketing, um, in programmatic, in our targeting. Uh, we've got a wealth of sports population, sports fan base within the ESPN TV and ESPN digital ecosystem that allows us to target much better. So, you know, I don't think so. I mean, I think this is going to continue to propel us. 
automatically we've got a head start given that we're on ESPN. I mean, just the viewership and the audience is more than double what it was in 2018. <clears throat> you know, we had a very fruitful, very strong relationship with Fox all the way, but you know, we, we jump up to a much bigger neighborhood of UFC fans on the ESPN platform and that type of promotional tool. And you look at some of the lead-ins that we've had, even in through January and February, um, was it a Duke, North Carolina, or Virginia? Anyway, a, a couple. You know, Duke, Virginia, basketball. yeah. Yeah, right. That really provided this amazing lead-in to our fights. That's going to continue. And so for us, uh, you know, we're not worried about buy rates. We just think this is kind of the next step, step up, the next amplification for, for the pay-per-view business. Buy rates have always been kind of a mystery. People are always reporting them. We never know where these numbers come from. Do you think that yep. we're going to see more of ESPN putting out press releases saying this many people watch the pay-per-view? And is that at their, their um, discretion? Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question. Uh, they've been already, I mean, even Bob Iger was on the record a few weeks ago saying that they've surpassed 2 million subs on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, you know, we did come out with a press statement after the Brooklyn event in January suggesting that, you know, uh, that UFC event drove... Uh, 565 some odd thousand new subs uh, for the service. So we know that UFC is a very important part of the ESPN Plus uh, offering. Um, will they be transparent? I'm not sure. Um, is it their discretion? Um, yes, if they choose to decide uh, to disclose uh, how many buys or how many subs they're getting via UFC products, they can do that. They may do so. Uh, I'm just not sure at this point. And will they have the metrics to see how many people are watching the pay-per-views and how many people have ordered the pay-per-view? I mean, uh, they, they must get the metrics of how many people order it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is, listen, you know, the UFC ecosystem now, you know, operates as a marketing platform or a portal for ESPN+. So if you come to UFC.tv uh, and you want to buy the pay-per-view, then, you know, we'll just, um, we'll just, you know, push you over to the ESPN area. They're going to see... In, in very, very specific detail, every step along the way, whether it's the registration and purchase flow, uh, whether it's the order and not watch, at what point people are watching or not watching or dropping off the feed, they can see all that stuff. All that stuff helps us to market and understand the behavior of our consumers to be able to offer a better product. Um, we're in a bit, way better position now than we were with you know, any of the data that rightfully so a lot of the MSOs and MVPDs like, you know, Comcast or Dish or DirecTV will, were able to pro provide to us. So, you know, we're looking at this as a, as a huge opportunity to understand our fan base better. Well, it's a really huge story uh, in terms of the business of mixed martial arts uh, and especially the UFC, obviously, going forward. It'll be interesting to see if this takes uh, place in some other markets as well going forward. Uh, but this is a really cool model, really interesting, and definitely shows where people think the direction of media is going. If people at Disney and Endeavor are, are looking at uh, OTT platforms in such a, in such a way. Uh, and from hearing Dana talk to Megan Olivia, it looks like 2019 is a big transition year for the UFC. And by the time 2020 rolls around, that you guys are going to be churning out content like it's nobody's business. Yeah, we're, we're pretty excited. I mean, this is the bread and butter. And the more we can tell, you know, the incredible stories about our athletes and, um, and how compelling our, our live event product is, whether you're watching on TV uh, or you're in the arena, um, more people are going to get involved in this great sport and it'll continue to grow. Awesome, Dave. Well, I always appreciate your time and your honesty with me and uh, I look forward to seeing you uh, in Ottawa in uh, about a month, uh, month's time. That's awesome, Aaron. Thanks for the time. Thanks for the support. We'll talk to you soon. That was David Shaw. Some really interesting stuff in terms of the uh, pay-per-view breakdown structure and uh, took a deep dive with me on that. And there was some stuff, obviously, he couldn't disclose. Uh, but, you know, I tried to get out of, out of him. Didn't do it. <laughs>
I'm trying to figure out what the split is, but nobody's going to tell me. No. Uh, side talk. Give him the side talk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe he'll tell me uh, off the record, but then I can't. I can't report it. I, I'm not interested in it for my own information. See, I've heard. Yeah, yeah. According to uh, a little birdie told me. Uh, no, I wouldn't do that to, to Mr. Shaw. I like Dave a lot. Um, all right, UFC in Nashville. Uh, that's coming up this weekend. It's on TSN three, and it's uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson against Anthony Pettis. Great pe- feature uh, by Robin Black. If you haven't seen it, it's on TSN.ca/UFC about the art of the kick, which you might enjoy. Actually. Yeah, I'll, I'll take a look at it. Doesn't get into leg kicks though, so you might have to. What is uh, he talking about? Out. Body kicks? No, just kick, kicks as a weapon. I mean, when we're putting these out on Sports Center, we need people that watch them not, to not get uh, like we can't really pander to an audience that is really into the sport. Mm-hmm. We want to get people interested uh, in it from a very base level, from very a stylistic. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, so talking about like w- the points of impact and stuff like that won't really resonate with like just the layman. Yeah, sports yeah fan for sure. So Robin's really good at, at at. Does he talk about the sidekick? Was, what's he in particular, or just kicks? Just in general? kicks in general. Kicks as a weapon, and why kicks can be such a dangerous weapon. Yeah, because uh, I mean, you got to think. If you're going to have a coach that's going to fight against someone like um, Stephen Thompson, Duke's the perfect guy. With the experience he has in all of martial arts, he's, I mean, and even when I fought Raymond Daniels, he was the commentator of that fight. I heard Raymond's doing MMA now. Yeah, he's signed with, uh, he's doing a Bellator fight. I know he was doing Bellator kickboxing before, but now he's doing Bellator MMA. Interesting. So, I mean, when I fought him, you heard his commentary knowing he knows how to fight that style, and the whole time he's talking about pressure. So, he's trained Anthony Pettis to to pressure. He has to against Thompson. So, I'm going to see how much heart Pettis has to kind of eat a shot to stay in there mm-hmm. and, and the size difference distance. is going to be pretty big i think although pettis when i see him walking around when he's not like at an event or sorry competing on an event he looks big yeah he's big he like, puts on jacked. a lot of weight but yeah. uh i think a lot of water weight for him which makes him look thick but uh for this camp he's did a lot of focus on his strength and conditioning so he feels big he feels strong and i mean like i said having duke in your corner with that many years of kickboxing muay thai and and, and fight strategy i think that's the guy that you need and Steven will join us later on, and uh, I asked him if he thought that uh, had he known that Kamaru Usman was going to beat Woodley, if he still would have taken this fight with Pettis. So you'll find out what his answer is uh, right. for that one. Because, I mean, he's ranked number three in the world right now, and he's fighting an unranked, technically an unranked welterweight, because Pettis is a ranked lightweight. And if who, who did uh, Thompson have before, his fight before? Uh, was uh, Darren Till. It was okay. that really close chess yeah. match with Till that a lot of people Which was a Thompson lot of, like, because he was, because everyone was um, kind of questioning why he took that fight at that point as well, right? Yeah, right. Because he was the number one guy. Number one guy but going back, that going said to he London. Was, yeah. he was, that said he was going against the I guy think he had a broken hand too, twice. or did he break it in that fight? Yeah, I think he was coming in with a broken hand. Yeah. And he, they wanted him specifically for that fight, and uh, he took it anyways because the, the pay was good. Uh, so, you know, he's also left it, I think his last. Five fights have gone to the, to a decision, so yeah. I'm interested to know if he's going to be a bit more aggressive. But uh, that's a, that's a really good main event. I think it's stylistically. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, or it's going to be a staring contest. What do you think is more likely? I think a staring contest, to be honest. I mean, I don't it, know. I don't know. I think this one could be good. I, I hope so. Like, I mean, I'm hoping for it because based on Pettis's last fight, he scraps. He'll mm-hmm. come in. He'll he'll fight. If he can bring in that style of fight, it'll be fun. But the problem is. In order to get one of these good engaged fights, you need the other guy to cooperate with it. Thompson is not going to get into that firefight. So he's going to keep his distance, keep his range. So I think Pettis might want to come out for war, but Thompson is really good at keeping, holding people back. Oh, he's so dangerous. 
Exactly. But the only way to beat him is you got to really not care about your health and safety. <laughs> you got to go in there with everything you got. And you're like, hey, I'm going to go in. I'm going to go in as hard as I can. If I get knocked out, I get knocked out. Yeah, because I, you're probably not going to win a point fight with him. No, you got to go in and you got to scrap. Like, if you're going to go and throw a punch, you're not just going to go and throw a single hesitant punch. You got to go in there, hold your head, jam that distance, and try to strike on the inside. Like, with Thompson, you don't want to throw from outside because he's going to catch you. So you literally plant your hands on your head. You you make a nice, which I call the shell or a target, and you just crash that distance as hard as you can. And you just, once you're inside, then you unload. Don't do a single, throw in combination and go. You got to go. When you commit, commit. Yeah, I guess nobody's really done that to Thompson except for Matt Brown back in the day. Yeah, you like just go. I mean, we saw uh, Woodley drop him, but it's more waiting for that yeah, one Woodley shot. Yeah, more countering. More and, yeah. countering the counter. So if you want to play the counter game, it gets boring. It gets frustrated. Eventually, you're like, come on, let's get some action. So then that's when guys jump in and they get yeah, caught. start booing, yeah. Yeah, and then you get <laughs> caught because like you get that fight anxiety. But Thompson doesn't care. He'll sit there and he'll play that game all day. And then uh, Curtis Blade against undefeated Justin Willis. And now Willis trains at AKA, so I imagine his wrestling could be up to snuff against Blades. But uh, that being said, I think Blades has more tools in the toolbox. Yeah, absolutely. And Blades has been looking good. Yeah, I mean, I mean he lost that last one. Wins. But to, before that, yeah, I think he's got wins over Alistair Overeem. Mm-hmm. Um, who else was before Overeem that was yeah. really impressive? Yeah, he had, that he had a big couple win good over streak Overeem. Win. Uh, Mark Hunt, he has a win yeah. over Mark Hunt. So he's yeah he's got big wins under under, under his belt. He lost to Francis last, and you know at the time it seemed like. Uh, that, that he just got caught, but then you saw what Francis did to Kane, and it's Absolutely. like, okay, well, Francis is back. Uh, Francis is Francis again. Yeah, he's back. And John McDessie, uh, Canadian, uh, one of three Canadians on the card, uh, facing, G- uh, I don't know if it's Jesus or Jesus Pinedo from Peru. Uh, very short uh, notice opponent, a short notice opponent change. I guess Pinedo was supposed to be on the card against someone else. They dropped off, McDessie's opponent dropped off, and they just paired them together. Uh, Davis and Figueredo versus uh, Juicy Formiga. This is an amazing flyweight fight. Really good matchup. I'm I'm really stoked about that one. Um, Figueroa is the favorite, which yeah. ranked at number three. Yeah, and I think for me, just ranked number, number one or one. two. Yeah, yeah, number one. That's going to be an interesting one. Figueroa has been uh, on a tear. I think he might also be undefeated. Um, Luis Pena against uh, Stephen Peterson. Pena, I think this is his first fight or second fight at 145. He's moved down. I think he lost his last fight and uh, decided to move down to 145, and he's taking on Stephen Peterson. Uh, very big favorite, uh, even though we haven't really seen what uh, Pena can do at uh, 145, but uh, that should be interesting. Violent Bob Ross. I'm a big fan of yeah, that guy. Yeah, me too. Yeah, Bob Ross or Luis Pena? Both? Both. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like pa- calm painting, and then the person that a lot of people are anointing is the next great women, uh, next great women's fighter. That's Macy Barber. And Macy Barber's taking on JJ Aldridge, who's coming off a pretty big win of her own over uh, Pollyanna Vienna. Okay, yeah. So Macy, Bar- Macy Barber's one. one to watch. Yeah, I think that uh, she apparently she just texts Dana White all the time and is like, "I'm going to be a champion and be the best fighter you've ever had." And like, she's, that's just her mindset, the Joe Valtellini mindset. That's it. That's yeah. what she needs. And how old is she? She looks really. She's, I young. think 19 or 20. She's I was going to say she's super young. Yeah. Her U- six and zero. Her UFC profile doesn't have her age. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she's either the 19. Future. Or, I think she's 20 or 21. That's it. Yeah. So a lot of people think she's. Uh, She's the future. She looked really good in her debut. Uh, and then you've got Bryce Mitchell coming off uh, one of the worst injuries in human history against Bobby Muffet. I think he had a scrotum, scrotum sliced or something along those lines. Ooh. Yeah, it's uh, not, not, not fun. He posted a picture. I think I'm going to look up what happened. Because I was... know the last time we heard something like that was Sergei Karatanov took a, a shot. But this was like Bellator outside of competition. Fedor, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, here. here he had a. Uh, so here's what happened. This happened back in October. He, oh, it involved a drill. 
Oh yes. 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 Okay. Yes. So uh, I was thinking it happened in a fight. No, yeah. no, it, no. This happened with a drill. Okay. Yes. So I you can look that story that. up, but I really don't want to talk I about it much more because I can feel that. like my my chest getting yeah, uh, this, co- this Tim yeah. Hortons here is coming up. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and he's facing Bobby Moffat, a very dangerous opponent. Uh, John McDessey was supposed to fight Nazrat Hawk for us, but he's not anymore. So I'm just looking at some odds here. Um, and then you've got uh, Frankie Sainz versus Marlon Vera. That's a fight that got rebooked. Uh, it fell off of the UFC 235 card due to uh, a flu, I guess, some sort of flu-like symptoms for Vera. She that just got rescheduled. Uh, another Canadian, Alexis Davis against Jennifer Maya. Angela Hill against Randa Marcos, another Canadian on the yeah, card. Randa Marcos, yeah, I like that one. Uh, Chris Gutierrez against Ryan McDonald. I don't know much about these two, so I'm, that's kind of I'm gonna take a wait, wait and see approach on that one. And then Eric Shelton against uh, Jordan Espinosa. Jordan Espinosa to me looks like a really good prospect. So. Um, We'll see how that one plays out. And uh, Shelton looked really good in his last one as well. And you, you have to imagine that the loser of this fight might get cut because of this flyweight division nonsense. Uh, all right, so let's get to our picks. Um, I'm going to let you go ahead. Yeah, I found it really tough to find it. I didn't think there was uh, any underdogs that I really liked on this card or, or knew enough uh, about to, to put a bet on. And since I'm doing so well, I'm going to be a little bit more safe. But uh, I'm going to do parlay. Um, I think... Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, even though he's a big favorite, he gets it done. I think Curtis Blade also gets it done, and I think McDessie. I'm, I'm taking three favorites in a parlay. Doesn't That's pay plus much. Plus one nineteen, yeah. Doesn't pay much, but uh, I think I gotta play the slow approach. Last last year, I got too aggressive, lost too much money, so I'm gonna slow ride you here, Aaron. I should well, let's let's not phrase it that way, but I should uh, I should say that. Uh, what do we got here? I had our tally somewhere, but I, I guess I don't have it right now in front of me, but. Uh, Oh yeah, here it is. So you have one hundred and forty-three dollars and fifty cents. I have ninety-six fifty. So uh, you're way ahead of me. So I, I'm gonna you get aggressive, go like you All said. Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna take the approach you took last year, and I'm gonna parlay Davis and Figueroa, who's minus one forty-five, with Bryce Mitchell, who's plus one fifty, and that that pays plus three twenty-two. Oh, so three to one odds, and that's that's where I'm going with uh, with this one. I like Bryce Mitchell a lot. I was very surprised by this particular line. Uh, Bryce Mitchell to me was. Uh, in terms of what I saw on the, that tough season, aside from Brad Katona, I thought Bryce Mitchell was hands down the best guy on the show. So uh, I'm interested to see what he can do against Bobby Moffat. Thug nasty, I like yeah, that. Yeah, thug name. nasty, Bryce yeah. Mitchell, and uh, ten and one. Davis record. and Figueredo is just a buzzsaw. And uh, you know, as long as he doesn't get caught by by Formiga and some sort of submission, I think that if if this is just going to go three rounds, you have to give the edge to Figueredo because he's going to be the and much he's more a aggressive minus one forty five. Yeah, favorite. that's another one that kind of surprised me. It's a little bit low in my opinion. So uh, there you go. So how did you I also get, like Jordan Espinosa, but I didn't put him in. So oh, it's, yeah. you're taking a minus 145 and a plus 150 and parlaying them. So it, okay. yeah, it's like plus 322 or something. I would have added Jordan Espinosa, but I didn't want to get carried away. But I also like uh, Espinosa in that uh, in that particular matchup. There you go. Not bad. That's a wrap. But before we wrap it up, let's uh, hear from the individual in the main event of this card. One of the people on uh, Joe's uh, list of picks, that's Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, and he joins us now on the TSN MMA show. Joining me on the line... One of the nicest guys in MMA, Wonderboy himself, Stephen Thompson. How are you, Stephen? Doing great, brother. Doing great. Glad to be on with you. Absolutely. Well, you're headlining in Nashville, great city, uh, this weekend. You know, I know this is a very fun matchup with Anthony Pettis, but had you known Kamaru Usman was going to beat Tyron Woodley, would you have accepted this fight? Um, you know what? I, I think so. I mean, you know, there, there was a lot of things, a lot of holdups, actually, in the welterweight division at the time. Like you said, you had the Tyron and... Woodley and Colby Coven didn't debacle and wasn't really sure who's going to be fighting then. And, um, you know, I'm still ranked number four and still not giving up about that title. But, you know, at the time, this was the fight that kind of made sense. I tried to fight some guys in the 170 division. It just didn't come up, you know, it just didn't, didn't happen. So, 
uh, I was actually getting off of a flight in Denver and took my phone off of airplane mode and my phone was blowing up and come to find out I had Anthony Pettis, you know, the former 155 champ calling me out. He wants to move to 170. So I was like, I'll welcome you to the 170 division with open arms, my friend. <laughs> well, Stephen, I've actually got some good news for you. You are now ranked third in the division uh, in, the, in the latest ratings. Oh, no way. So com- congratulations. Wow. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, <laughs> no problem. Some good news for today. Uh, what do you think yeah, uh, <laughs> What do you think Kamaru Usman did uh, differently than past challengers to neutralize Woodley so successfully? Well, number one, I mean, I, I think it was, you know, Tyron's mindset that had a lot to play with it. I mean, Usman's very hungry. You know, he, he was he wanted to go out there and, uh, you know, just beat the crap out of Tyron. He did exactly that. But if you look, Tyron just didn't – he didn't have that flame. He didn't have that fire that you normally see whenever he steps out there. Um, um, you know, he just didn't – couldn't pull anything off, to be honest with you. He couldn't – you couldn't use his – he didn't use his striking, didn't use his, his wrestling defense as, as – well as I thought he should and, or thought he could. And it just didn't, he just couldn't uh, get the strikes or anything pulled off during the fight. And, and Kamar Usman took full advantage of that. So I think it was uh, a lot with both. I mean, Kamar Usman is very good at what he does, but at the same time, Tyron just couldn't pull anything off. And, and, uh, and Usman just, um, you know, had his way. Have you ever had a night like that? Um, You know what? I've had training sessions like that. I've, and, you know, I've had uh, fights back in the kickboxing days where you just have trouble pulling something off. and Or, you know what, to be honest with you, yeah, my second fight with Tyron Woodley, um, I wasn't as aggressive um, as I should have been during that fight and just couldn't, like I said, just, just couldn't pull it, just couldn't find the chance to really pull the trigger. And, you know, um, Tyron ended up pulling out with the win. So, so, yeah, man, I mean, I guess all fighters kind of have their days and off days, and sometimes you – you can pull stuff off, and, and some days you can't. So, um, you know, you gotta you gotta be ready and and mentally 100% before you step out there. You know what I'm saying? You gotta you gotta have that mental game right before you step out there. And I've learned a lot from that last fight with Tyron Woodley. So, um, I'm ready to put on a show for you guys. You know, this Saturday. So, ready to rock and roll, baby. Well, this past weekend was good proof that MMA math doesn't work. Uh, you, you see Darren Till get knocked out by Jorge Masvidal. Uh, your most recent loss is to Till, albeit a very controversial one. Um, and now uh, you see Usman's agent say that he thinks Jorge Masvidal should be next for a title shot. I mean, does it make your blood boil when you see something like that as much as your blood can boil? <laughs> you know what? Not really. I mean, yeah, you know, Usman, I mean, uh, Masvidal did an amazing job out there, you know, exploiting, uh, um, you know, kill striking and um, ended up knocking him out, man. I did not expect that at all. But, uh, you know, that's the way the game is, man. You never know. You never know what's going to happen when two fighters step out there. You know, all you can do is go out there and give it 100% yourself and make sure you're on point. Um, So it doesn't really make me my blood boil. I mean, I think, you know, with the performance Masvidal had, sure, man, give him the title shot, see what happens. But I'm, I'm going to be right there. I'm Like you said, I'm right number three right now and not giving up on that, on that title. And, um, you know, whoever I have to um, face against, you know, obviously I've got, uh, you know, Pettis this weekend. But after that, to make it up to that title, you know, whoever it is, it, it doesn't matter. I'm going to go out there and give it my, give it my all. So, um, you know, if Masvidal gets the title shot, man, congrats to him. 
you are, as you mentioned, in the top three of this division. And this division is starting to get really crazy. There's six fighters in the welterweight top 15 with six-plus fight winning streaks. It's incredibly competitive. Uh, what do you think you need to do to get your name back in the mix? I mean, you're fighting an unranked welterweight, as, uh, although we know what Anthony Pettis brings to the table. Do you think you need another big win after this one if, if you are to get it this weekend? You know, worst-case scenario, yes, and I always look that way. You know, I may have to get one or two more fights before I have to step up and fight for the title again, and, and I'm okay with that. You know, I'm 36 years old, but I like to consider myself a young 36 years old, and I've got plenty in the tank to, to keep going, you know. So I do kind of have a small window, kind of do what I want to do, and, and that's what I'm focused on. So if it is one or two more fights, so be it. Um, I'm not giving up on it, and, uh, you know, I will be there. And that's my goal. I will be there by the end of this year. And as a 37-year-old man, I agree that 36 is very young, so I, I agree with that. Uh, so there's an event coming up uh, in your hometown of Greenville in three months. Would it be a mistake if you're not in the main event? Man, you know what? That's crazy. We found out literally during the, uh, the Kamaru Usman and, and Tyron fight that they're coming to the Boston Corona Arena, which is in my hometown. So we've been working really hard to make that happen. Um, we didn't hear anything from the UFC about it. We found out like everybody else found out. And it's three months from now. So hopefully I come out of this fight uninjured, no hurt feet or hands or anything like that, and, and I'll be ready for that Greenville card. So, yeah, I, I, my, the plan is to headline that fight if possible. I mean, that's that's a city that's tailor-made for you to headline that card. <laughs> I mean, this, that's your, that's oh, your backyard. Man. I know. I know. That's where I literally – that's where I was born and raised. I lived there, and we've got pretty much my entire city right now coming to Nashville to watch the fight team, too. So they're excited, man. We could pack that place out, and, and a ton of fight fans in my hometown. Yeah, what is Greenville like as a market for MMA? It's huge. It's growing, man. we got several gyms down, uh, in South Carolina opening up, and it's, it's you know, we got two or three promotions, 864, one of the biggest promotions uh, around that uh, in, the, in the South that are putting on some awesome fights. So we got some really good guys, especially from a home gym. And um, <clears throat> we got some 205ers and 135ers, 145ers. Uh, and a lot of a lot of talent comes uh, to our hometown, to or our gym, to work on their striking. You know, Chris Weidman comes down. Your, uh, Ryan Hall comes down to work on his striking as well. So we've had uh, a bunch of people end up at the gym. And it's growing, man. It's, it's huge. It's, it's, it's re- it really is. And, uh, and uh it puts a smile on my face to to know that I had, you know, a, a kind of a small impact in that, you know? When people think Anthony Pettis, they obviously think of him as a former champion in both the, the WEC and the UFC. But do you think that the Showtime kick is the best highlight in MMA history? Oh, yeah, man. I thought it was the coolest. So that's one of the reasons why I was so excited about this fight, because I am a fan of Anthony Pettis. You know, we have a, we have we both have similar styles. Of course, he comes from a taekwondo background i come from a karate background so it was on it pretty much you know who's going to be the better ninja saturday uh and that's what it's going to be you know um i know at some point in time he may want to try and take the fight to the ground like most people do so you know i'm ready for wherever the fight goes but i'm looking forward to a a pretty cool and fun chess match with him saturday night they say never to let the judges, uh, or sorry, never to let the fight go to the judges and your last five have gone to a i guess have gone the distance um the, the decision against Woodley at UFC 209, a lot of people thought you won that one. Uh, the, the majority of people thought you beat Darren Till, uh, but of course the Liverpool crowd, I think, propelled him to a victory in the eyes of the judges uh, due to how loud they were. Um, are you looking to be more aggressive this time around and look for the finish in another five-round fight? You're, uh, this is your, I guess, out of your last five fights, this is uh, going to be your, your 
fifth in the last sixth, I guess, of five-round fights. Yeah, you know, and that's something we worked on. We're, we've been working on after the last till fight, like, you know, just being a little bit more aggressive out there, not being overly aggressive, you know, not being stupid, but being smart out there, but letting our par- our opponent feel um, my presence in the octagon a little bit more. Obviously, we've been working really hard on my wrestling as well. So, um, you know, if I want to take the fight down to the ground, I can do that as well. I know Anthony Pettis is is very good at jiu-jitsu and, and um, you know, has submitted some really high-level guys in jiu-jitsu. You know, Michael Chiesa, who just moved to well played as well and defeated Carlos Condit, submitted him as well. So, you know, uh, I am prepared for wherever the fight goes. So, uh, yeah, man, just being a little more aggressive out there but being smart with it. All right, Stephen. Well, it's uh, always a pleasure speaking with you. You're in the main event of uh, the UFC fight night in Nashville, Tennessee. A lot of your, uh, like you said, a lot of people from Greenville coming to check it out and uh, get to see you in action. And that card, of course, uh, airs on TSN this weekend. Uh, thanks so much for doing this. We, we appreciate it. Anytime, my friend. I, I really do appreciate being on with you. And always a pleasure. There he is, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, and even though he's one of Joe's picks this week, you can find out how to beat Stephen Wonderboy Thompson yeah. on Joe Valtellini's YouTube page. It's got 104,000 plus views. Yeah, did people it, I think it maybe a year ago or something, just on how to beat it, because everyone's like, what's the puzzle? And I mean, like I mentioned, confidence is, the, is it. You can't just sit there and expect to win a point game. you got to fight, and it's fighting. So sometimes that's where I say the toolkit is really important. You have to be able to, as a fighter, pressure when you need to, move when you need to, attack on angles, attack the legs. you got to have the toolkit to beat them. If you got one thing, you ain't going to beat Wonderboy Thompson. Now, I know your fighting days are behind you, but I always ask you this question. Let's say Mick Maynard called you and was like, Joe, we need somebody to fight against Wonderboy. even Wonderboy Thompson yeah, at 185. To. And uh, I don't know. He probably, it'll he probably be doesn't a, have that strong of an Australian oh, accent. I, I, it, but, would, uh, <laughs> it would have to involve seven figures, and then I, I would do it. Really? Yeah. Seven figures? Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. It can start with a one, but right. as long as it says, yeah. it'll, easily. That wouldn't even be... What I if the seven figures hesitate. include decimals? No. Well, it's got to have <laughs> all and then decimals. So nine with a the decimal. There you zero, go. Nine-figure cunt. Joe Valtellini signs exclusive, exclusive hey, nine-figure contract. If they wanted contract. to, I would love to. Put me against anyone for a seven-figure contract like that. One fight all day. But you think it's you'd probably fare pretty well against the Stephen Absolutely. Thompson, especially if there were no takedowns involved yeah. or whatever. But, I mean, I would still work my takedowns. But for him, like, I'm sorry, you're going to have to take me down. Mm-hmm. I'm too, I'm not the other guys that you, you fought against. I mean, I can sit there, but I'm going to close the distance. I'm going to kick you. I can fight both stances. To beat Wonderboy Thompson, I'm telling you right now, you have to go south pond, kick his lead leg. I still can't believe that Stephen Thompson does this for a living when you sit and talk with him. He's like the, the friendliest the guy nicest. on the planet. The and nicest. he's always smiling, and he's never yeah. got a bad thing to say because about it. Because that's I, a martial I, artist, I, and as, I love as it. As you just heard in that interview, I asked him about Jorge Masvidal. I go, does your blood boil when Kamaru Usman's agent comes out and says that Masvidal should have the next shot? You just beat Masvidal. That's your last win. And he goes... Oh, well, if they want to give Masvidal a shot, he's earned it, man. He looks great this past yeah, weekend. martial you know, artist, man. Yeah, I like, love it. He's like, oh, more power to Jorge if he gets... I'm like, dude, you just beat you just yeah. beat Masvidal. Everybody's calling for him to get a title shot. But you're, that's a, that's you a kid. You've never faced Usman. No, that, that's a kid who's been doing martial arts since he was a baby. <laughs> that's true. You know, so like he's grown up. Like we have that conversation about being the fighter and the martial artist. That's a martial artist. Yeah, I, I love Wonderboy. Me too. Wonderboy's one of my... Like he's been here before. He came, I guess, to promote the fight with Rory back uh, in Ottawa. And he's like the friendliest guy. And he's honestly the and nicest guy It's positive guy on the to see in the sport. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, that's why I even mentioned with Rose and I'm in Eunice. Like, it's just a positive.
positive soul that it's nice to have in the sport that not everybody is that stereotypical like when i was fighting earlier it was like mohawks and tattoos yeah. like where's your mohawk joe you don't yeah. have a chuck liddell <laughs> mohawk and you don't have tattoos what's going on and you can speak well oh my god yeah. what are you doing? you're not like you're not from the streets no i have a good family <laughs> i have an education and i love doing what i do so mm-hmm. i mean it's good to see people who promote that side of the sport well thompson also he's also such a big competitor that the reason why he wanted to fight Pettis is because Pettis called him out. He's like, Pettis called me out. Let's do it. Yeah. And that's his but mindset I bet you also. with his karate and his kickboxing, he was so active growing up probably. He was probably at tournaments every other weekend competing, competing. So, I mean, that's a lot of experience. Like even guys like Raymond Daniels that we keep talking about, every other weekend he's in some world karate championship. Uh, that's, ISKA. Or yeah, ISK. Yeah. Then he's goes over. Like he's <laughs> fighting every other weekend. So that's a lot of experience. That's a lot of wins, a lot of losses. A lot of people have gone up and down and roller coasters. So, I mean, martial arts, man, it's a beautiful thing when you take it and embrace it properly and him george st pierre those are all role models that you want the kids though those young kids that we we talked about earlier about watching it those are the people you want them to watch and see and thompson's kind of the forgotten guy right now at welterweight because everybody's talking about uh colby covington and now masvidal is the connor era it's changed the game yeah but thompson is a guy who i think would be a terrible matchup for uzman yeah, I right. think so too. I mean, that's he's probably the worst matchup for Usman out of anybody. For anybody, in the top five. Yeah. yeah. But he's not talking. Yeah, he's not talking. You know, and... you can't. You you're not getting into fights in the backstage. So Leon Edwards is trying to do something. Masvidal just made all this hype, so you can put him in there. You think about those two names before you do Wonder Boy Thompson, the which problem, is sad. The problem is nobody thinks about matchups. They think about oh well, Woodley Entertainment has beaten Tom. Well, he beat Thompson, and now Usman's beaten Tom- Woodley. So th- that means that Usman's automatically got to be better than Thompson. We used to always like, call that shirt. Dog math. We yeah, MMA it. math. Yeah, and MMA I mentioned math. that to uh, Thompson in the interview. I said, uh, you know, MMA MMA math doesn't work. And a good example of that is Masvidal knocking Till out. Till beats Thompson on the scorecards. Thompson's beaten Masvidal on the scorecards. So who's better? Like, yeah. who's, you know, track the code for me. Yeah, there it is. Although, if you think that Thompson beat Till, which the majority of people do, then Thompson's the, the best yeah, of those yeah, three. Yeah. But then, that's that's just how MMA math works. Uh, Joseph Elfelini on YouTube, latest video: How to defend elbows. Yeah, trying Which to change it Which doesn't really it matter up. in glory, I guess. But it no, but uh, I mean, I have a lot of MMA followers, a lot of people asking for some of the work with elbows. So I brought in uh, a good friend of mine who also teaches at uh, my school, Bazooka Kickboxing, Matt Embry, who fought Sanchai. So those who know how big uh, he is in Muay Thai, Sanchai is the legend. Uh, they say one of the best to ever do it. And Matt Embry from Canada, little kid, flew over there, fought him with just ropes on his hand and did really well. And he also became a, a glory contender. Um, he fought Robin Van Roosmalen for the for the glory featherweight title. Didn't get the win, but man, he's a beast. So to have him and train together and get him on the channel was good. So we gave our different uh, takes on how we defend our elbows. Does Embry have full time with you now? I uh, know he teaches twice a week at my gym. So okay, that's cool. what's amazing with my gym. You can come Mondays. Matt has a has a class that he teaches for intermediate advanced. I teach on Tuesdays. Matt teaches Wednesdays. I'm back on Thursday, and then we have my uh, co-owner in the business, um, who's also a glory fighter, Troy. Sheridan teach Saturday, so that's the level you get. So um, 680, 680, 680 progress. progress. That's where got, we get I'm, it. I think I'm going to start going. Once, once things so settle down close. at home, yeah. I want to go. I, I like just go after work for an hour and then head home. Yeah. But I mean, even there's a day here at the lunch, you can literally walk over and I'll meet you and we can do something even. Okay, well, there you go. I'll just ask my boss Special. if it's cool if I go and do kickboxing at lunch. There you go. It's <laughs> and, part and, of the channel. And, 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 and if he says here. no, I'll, I'll introduce you to him. There you go. Yeah. I actually think that it is. it would be 
a smart move for me to do this as part of this job. I mean, I learning so. about the the technical aspects of it is important. I think so. I think it's for you in, in, in developing your mind and, and seeing what I see and what maybe someone from a different perspective is great. Like, even for me, like, I still want to come in on one of the days it's really hard, but to watch the fights with you so we can just talk about them and see where you're thinking and see different things, that's the, the fun part about watching, you know, martial arts with people. Well, what are you doing this Saturday? This Saturday is tough. I was going to say we could do, is, we get Mongolian hot pot and you can come. Maybe let, let me let me <laughs> let me try to switch things around. But I know because I haven't been home the last two weekends with the travel that I like to to try to get family and friends time in there. I can't all be martial arts. Yeah, that's true. Well, when's the next glory event? Well, we're um, friends. I mean, yeah. Well, and we're family, so and we can make family. it work. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Um, the next glory is uh, it's going to be sometime in May. We're just waiting. Oh, to so it's a while. Down. Okay. Yeah. We're just oh, so it's not, not even announced yet. No, but I'm doing a, a seminar in California, which is uh, a pretty popular gym it's one of the biggest gyms in california they uh chris uh cyborg went there they oh, have cool. gaston bolaños kevin ross it's called csa gym mm-hmm. um even right now there's uh, a lot of ufc fighters are training out of there so i'm doing a coaches seminar there beginning of april and then i come back for one day and i'm off to montreal i've been working with the canadian flyweight champ from tko malcolm gordon so we've been working his striking he's fighting a former um ultimate fighter contender in yoni sheratov yeah yoni sherbatov yeah. sherbatov mm-hmm. i don't even know his name mm-hmm. but i know his style i know how to beat him but uh i don't know his name but yeah he's uh we've been praying malcolm for that so i'll be there cornering malcolm as well and it'll be cool because i'll be cornering alongside mark hominick and sam stout and chris hordesky so i mean uh get to all-star corner yeah i mean and even one of the best parts for me is just hanging out with mark hominick like Mm -hmm. i mean the guy is just so knowledgeable so friendly and that's going to be one of my highlights for sure absolutely that's going to be cool that's uh tko so that's coming up in april right uh yeah that's gonna be april 11th Cool, awesome. I think that might be. Is that the uh, off week? There's a UFC off week at some point in time, but that might be it actually. And isn't another amazing fight? Um, Jesse Ronson's fighting. Um, they have their young kid, which is uh, Charles Jourdain. Mm-hmm. He's fighting Jesse Ronson yeah, in two weight one. classes up. Two weight classes up. Yeah, wow. And, yeah, and Jesse's the champ at 155 and 170, mm-hmm. and Jourdain's the 145 champ. So oh, he's uh, fighting basically the 155 and the 170 champ. I I don't know which it's weight it is, but probably 155. Yeah, but. Still crazy. Jordan's awesome, too. It's I just, fun to watch. I just watched the Cyril Gaon, who everybody's uh, talking about, uh, the heavyweight for TKO. A lot of people think he's oh, like yeah, a yeah. great prospect. He, uh, yeah. He's out of it. I think he hurt himself. He broke something. Yeah. So he was... Um, his coach is uh, yeah. Nagano's yeah, coach. Nagano's coach, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, it was, I was looking at a list. I was on... Uh, if you want to check it out, actually, I... Uh, was um, on the list uh, that Sean Bitter put together. Sean Bitter really uh, has his finger on the pulse of prospects in MMA. And he got a bunch of different people to cover the sport to name their top three prospects in the sport right now. From so, Canada? No, just in, just in general. general. And he yeah. was one? Uh, on almost every list had Cyril Gunn. It wasn't on my list. Really? But he was, yeah. Yeah, because he's a kickboxer who's trans, you know, coming over to to MMA, but he's just dominant, man. I've seen him fight twice now because I've cornered now at two different TKOs, and he's been on both cards, so... Beast, yeah. I cheated. On my, I cheated on my list, but whatever. I put, I put a guy that's not put, like training MMA right now. You did? Yeah. I put Kyle Schneider. He's oh no. <laughs> he's he's a wrestling Olympian. Okay. And, yeah. Uh, he's like, he'll destroy everybody at heavyweight when he decides to move when over to MMA, and he's thinking about it. So okay. I guess he is considered one of the top prospects in the sport. Am I right? Yeah. He could work. Yeah. There Why you not? go. I kind of cheated. So, but you can <laughs> check it out. Uh, anyways, thanks, Joe. We'll be back next week uh, with more. To discuss, I'm sure, in this crazy, crazy world of uh, mixed martial arts. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.